All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. Was good. And Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 180, 180 of the Spoken Podcast is in full swing, full motion. We are so happy for you guys to be here with us and for us to be here with you as we do each and every week. We try to give you guys the most honest content available that we can give you guys. We're not here to compete with anybody else because that's not the way we look at it. We look at it like we have plenty of room out here for everybody to eat and everybody to enjoy providing content, giving out opinions because that's what we've been doing now for the last three plus years on the podcast. But if you've been with us for any length of time, you know how we do things here at the Spoken and at the Spoken Podcast. Whether you're live streaming, whether you are podcasting or you're YouTubing, thank you so much for being here with us, guys. We have the second week of preseason football pretty much wrapped up. I believe there are some games as we're going to be live streaming today that are going to be finishing up week two of preseason. And then we all know how week three usually goes. That is the now the new fi- final week of preseason, and that's usually when teams start to look a little closer on the guys that they would consider fringe players, guys that we don't know if they'll make the team or not, so they're getting them one last opportunity. I know the Chiefs are going to be looking and viewing week three the same way, so we're not going to be seeing Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, any of the key notable players playing week three, as you would imagine. But we got a lot of takeaways from training camp all the way up to week two that I want to get to. I was actually, and this is actually where I want to start because I think this is this is um, the, the key of the conversation today that I want to have with Trevor, Eddie, and everybody out there. And you guys feel free to hit a, hit a subscribe on our YouTube channel and comment on there and let us know what you guys uh, have to say, what you guys have, any questions, anything of that nature. We'd love to hear from you and we can actually voice those out there on the show. So Eddie, if you hear anything, let me know. We also have the Eddie Hour and Hold This L coming up later on, but I really want to attack right where we left off with the Chiefs yesterday, or th- this this last uh, Saturday, uh, in regards to what the results were. I was on the Shaggy Shane show yesterday after the game was directly over. As soon as it was over, me and Shaggy start to record. I was with Clay Windler, which, by the way, I hope you all are ready for the new Red Tribe Cinema video. I'm telling you all right now, this is one of Clay's best best pieces. I, I watched it yesterday. He gave me a little VIP. He gave me the little trailer of what he's about to drop this week, and I'm just letting you all know it was fantastic. Shaggy Shane and I, Clay and I, we've dropped a video yesterday on the Shaggy Shane show, and there was a lot of takeaways we had from week two in particular, but in, 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 in both the, the first two weeks of, of preseason. And something I told you guys back from training camp when I came back and we had our show, I, I said it on the Shaggy Shane show as well, that it's a, there's a consistent calm. There's a consistent calmness with this team. And that's something that's so surprising for a lot of people, and, and, and in some ways even for myself. But at the same time, it's not. Because you look at it from the perspective of this team has so many moving objects. There's so much influx from the roster. There, there are moving pieces. They even added coaches to the coaching staff. There's guys that returned like Matt Nagy. 
So you would think that naturally a team like that that's dealing with those types of um, adversities in some regard, because for a lot of teams that is an adversity to overcome so much movement, especially for young guys coming in. You would think there'd be more chaos. You'd see that there'd be more of an uncertainty, a little bit of insecurity with the team. But because of the fact that there's one consistent, there's always been this one consistent piece over the last decade, still very much in place in Andy Reid, there is such a calmness, such a confidence within this team. And I remember we talked about when we, when, when we were dis discussing these draftees, these guys that the Chiefs went and got in this draft, about how these guys know what they're walking into. Because of the fact the guys the Chiefs drafted weren't just talented individuals, guys that can come in and day one and contribute, but they're guys that are a bowl about football, and they're guys that are mature young adults. You don't see a bunch of guys in this draft class that look like guys that are going to go out there and cause problems, get arrested, do things that are just going to get themselves in trouble and be a distraction to their team. You see guys that are going to come in here and play football and be about ball because that's what Patrick Mahomes is. That's what Travis Kelsey is. That is what Andy Reid is. Furthermore, you look at the coaching staff and how there are three or four guys on this coaching staff as it currently stands that could be head coaches in this league and have already been head coaches in this league. So the experience factor, knowing what it takes to get the job done, is in, in threefold, fourfold on this coaching staff alone. Not to mention the fact that we've heard guys like Trent McDuffie on the franchise, which, by the way, I hope y'all are watching that because it's been, it's been absolutely sensational this year. But when uh, Trent McDuffie was at the local barbecue joint, the Char Bar, which I also recommend, it's a great place, he was talking about how he was eased into this into the situation as the first overall pick for the Chiefs, and they traded up for him so they knew they were big on this guy. There's a lot of pressure on a guy like that. But you, he mentions while he's tearing up that, that, that brisket sandwich that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were two of the coolest dudes from day one with him. They didn't big time him. They didn't treat him like a rook. I know that other people like playing that tough love approach, kind of like how Aaron Rodgers is doing with his wide receivers right now in Green Bay. But the Chiefs handle it a lot differently. And you're seeing it pay dividends already in preseason. Now, you guys know how I feel about preseason. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think that it's something that's very relevant to a team long-term, especially a team as successful and consistently successful as the Chiefs have been over the last four-plus years. But the point remains, these young guys are adapting to the NFL game quicker. You hear about Isaiah Pacheco mentioning how getting hit in these games at the NFL level doesn't feel any different than it felt in college. I have to believe that if there was more pressure on him, there was more chaos around him, that something like that would feel a little bit differently. Because of the fact that he knows he has, his team has his back, and he's going to be able to ease himself into the situation so he doesn't have to overthink things. Being a seventh-round pick, yes, there's no, there's no pressure on you, but there also is a certain level of pressure to have to make the roster and I think knowing that he has a position on this team now getting first team reps which we can discuss in a minute I think that he is a, is a, is a symbol of what this team is as a whole is there's a lot of guys on this team that weren't expected to be great players even Patrick Mahomes getting drafted Chiefs trade up 17 spots on him in the first round people are saying this guy's a project he's a turnover machine he's all talent but he doesn't really know what he's doing out there there's all these criticisms he ends up becoming the greatest quarterback in football then it's Travis Kelsey former quarterback in t with Cincinnati becomes the best tight end in football Andy Reid gets fired from Philadelphia people think he can never win the big game goes out there and wins a Super Bowl so there's so much Steve Spagnola failed head coach Matt Nagy, failed head coach. Eric Biedemey can't get a head coaching job for whatever reason. All these guys are working together now, and they're going to have success. And I look at Patrick Mahomes in preseason, and I'm telling you guys, this is what I've been saying the whole time. And I want to I wanna branch off on that and then get Trevor Nettie's thoughts on this. But 
Patrick Mahomes, since 2018, averages over 4,600 yards, 40 total touchdowns, and only nine interceptions in his career since 2018 when he took over. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to be backpedaling this season. There are going to be a lot of people that are making their own form of apologies to Patrick Mahomes this, 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 during this season. Because all we've been hearing this offseason is the absence of Tyreek Hill paying significant dividends in the negative category for Patrick Mahomes in particular, but this Kansas City team as a whole. And if you've seen anything, and if you've taken away anything from preseason so far and from training camp so far, the beauty of the unknown is something that is going to play a factor again, like it did in 2018. I'll give credit to Clay Windler, our producer and the uh, operator of uh, Red Tribe Cinema. He said something that yesterday that really rang true to me before we started recording the Shaggy Shane show. He goes, this season is going to be a lot like 2018. Because as we remember in 2018, all we heard about was the camp interceptions. Patrick Mahomes was turning the ball over a lot. We don't know what this guy's going to become. They should have stuck with Alex Smith. My favorite line of all time, the worst take in the history of sports, is when Colin Cowherd asked Jason Whitlock, Whitlock, will the Chiefs regret giving up on Alex Smith? Yes. The greatest, worst take of all time. Because we saw what happened in 2018. Patrick Williams goes out there and has one of the three greatest seasons a quarterback has ever had. And if it wasn't for D4 lining up offsides, the Chiefs are going to their first Super Bowl in almost 50 years. Fast forward now four years, and we've seen 2019, 2020, 2021. The Chiefs had a reputation. They knew that the Chiefs had two monster figures in Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and you just couldn't stop them. And then this whole debate came around in 2021 about, well, have the Chiefs been figured out? And we, we debated that on the show. For, and at first I was thinking, there's no way that the Chiefs could get figured out. But then we realized they actually were figured out. But like Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer in the history of baseball, he was figured out too. People knew what was coming. The cut fastball is the only pitch he threw. But could you stop it? No. Could you get a couple hits on him here and there? Could he have a blown save here and there? Yep. Chiefs started out 3-4 and four last year. But what ended up happening? The Chiefs ended up with the highest scoring percentage in the NFL, with the fourth-ranked overall offense, with the most first downs, second-most touchdowns. So even though they were figured out, you still couldn't beat them. But now, as currently constructed, and as you've seen Patrick Mahomes in preseason to this point, with completing 69 nice percentage percent of his passes, 222 total yards, three touchdowns with a 134 quarterback rating, and he's completed passes to nine different receivers. A backup tight end catching two touchdowns yesterday in Jody Fortson, a guy who just blew his Achilles last year. You're seeing the beauty of the unknown back on full display because now you have no idea how Patrick Mahomes is going to beat you. But you know what's going to happen? Patrick Mahomes is going to beat you. I have never seen Patrick Mahomes more poised and ready to take on a season than he looks right now. I know there's those hype machine quotes that come out about best shape of his career. Uh, he's never been more driven. But those facts actually ring true for Patrick Mahomes this year because as we've heard, unlike any other offseason, months before even OTAs, the man's out there working out with his new teammates and old teammates and guys that he wants to plug and play into this offense. And with the deep, and I mean deep, wide receiving core this team now has, 
It's going to it's going to surmount. It's going to overcome what having one individual superstar receiver is for a single team. I talked about. I don't know if you guys saw the post, but it did. It made a lot of headlines on both Twitter and on Facebook when I talked about the significance of losing a a top tier superstar wide receiver in his prime. How that will affect an offense. But even to that point, you saw when Randy Moss left the Patriots in 2010, the Patriots go back to the Super Bowl the year after, and Tom Brady has one of his best statistical seasons without Randy Moss. You see Matt Stafford, when Calvin Johnson retired, I believe that was 2010, 2011, or maybe it was 2013, I forget. But Calvin Johnson leaves, and then Matt Stafford the next season has one of his best statistical seasons. It's because when you have a great quarterback in place, you can overcome that obstacle of losing a great wide receiver because a great wide receiver needs a great quarterback far more than a great quarterback needs a great wide receiver. But furthermore, the advantage that Patrick Mahomes has moving forward is the fact that, yes, he lost a great receiver, but unlike Tom, Tom Brady and unlike Calvin John, or unlike Matt Stafford, Patrick Mahomes still has his best receiving op- op- uh, option still very much in play with Travis Kelsey. And the fact that the Chiefs took such an aggressive maneuver and adding so much depth from both the veteran and rookie presence to this equation, where you have Juju Smith-Schuster motivated on a one-year deal, back-to-back one-year deals, I might add, at 25 years old, but Cole Hardman knowing more than likely this is his last season in Kansas City because he'll get paid somewhere else next offseason. The fact that you have MVS, who's trying to prove his worth in the prime of his life and his career, outside of the Aaron Rodgers umbrella. The fact you have Sky Moore, a guy that was in the second round that people loved and, and glamorized, but also came from a small school, so people are sitting here quietly optimistic on his ability to transition to the NFL game. The fact there are so many young, unproven talents on both sides of the ball gives this Chiefs team almost like a underappreciated vibe going into week one. Because of the fact, as I said on the Shaggy Shane, Yo, uh, Shaggy Shane show yesterday, that the, the focus this offseason has been Tyreek Hill is gone, and the AFC and the AFC West in particular got better. And they stacked, their, they, they pushed all the chips to the front of the table. But what the focus hasn't been on is the fact that the Chiefs got significantly better athletically, physically, youth movement, like Trevor liked to talk about, the, how we're all on board with this youth movement. That hasn't been discussed nearly as much. In fact, it's become a question mark. But I truly believe, guys, from what we've seen in preseason, what we've seen in training camp, and that calm presence that's pushing it all forward is going to be the conversation going into the season, deeper into the season, about how we look back and go, man, you know how the Bills and the Chargers and the Raiders and the Broncos and these teams added all these veteran players? That's true. But the Chiefs added the next act of young players with the best coaching staff in the NFL with the best quarterback and tight end to help lead the way. That's going to be the true conversation when we're in week 9, week 15, week 18. It ain't going to be about Khalil Mack going to the Chargers. It won't be about Russell Wilson going to the Broncos. It won't be about Chandler Jones going to the Raiders, Devontae Adams going to the Raiders. It won't be about Von Miller going to the Bills. It'll be about Patrick Mahomes leading another young, a, a new nucleus further than anyone expected. So ringing it all back down from what you guys saw yesterday in, 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 in this game against the, the Washington Commanders, which, by the way, being a Commanders fan has to be so rough because those jerseys were the Dan Snyder of jerseys that they were wearing yesterday. And how how annoying it must be to watch Patrick Mahomes dominate your team with a bunch of white wide receivers. That's just got to be so – like, imagine being that guy, like the, the, the Patriots all those years just dominating with Wells Wolker and Danny Amendola, how disheartening that has to be. Now you've seen the Chiefs doing that with Justin 
Watson, Noah Gray, 83 shades of gray out here catching big bombs from Patrick Mahomes. You know, you're you're winning on the defensive side. He's still completing passes downfield, you know, throwing to the opposite end of his body. I mean, this game was so satisfying watching the first team do what they did. Karloftis getting the sack against Carson Wentz. I mean, he he freaking he dropped his body so hard. I thought he was going to visit Vecna on the upside down, man, because he put him on the ground so so damn hard. Yeah. But I, this game, I enjoyed it very much. I think there's some takeaways. I think he, uh, Patrick Mahomes could obviously hit MVS on that deep route that MVS broke open. I mean, that that's that stuff you work through. I'm not worried about that whatsoever. But I thought MVS broke free, looked really good. Skymore Skymore looked really good. It was just great defense on the pass that was broken up in the end zone to him. Overall, though, this game to me was just a simple representation of what's to come for this Chiefs team this season and moving forward. They're ready, and they did not need the preseason to be ready. Yeah, I mean, we saw what like I agree with you what we saw from the ones. Patrick Mahomes looked confident and loose even without his you know number one and number two target out there in the offense. Um, I want to see more from the running backs. I want to see more from this run blocking. Uh, I wasn't very impressed by how he ran the ball at all. Um, even though I thought our run blocking last year was really good when we decided just to run, we we, always, we did well. Um, I haven't seen much from the O-line as far as run blocking um, and just our running backs getting good boost off the ball. Um, I want to see more of that. Outside of but I mean, we all know Patrick Mahomes is. We, all, we know what he's going to do. Watson has been impressive. Uh, definitely um, with with Michelle and with Mahomes, he's looked good. He, um, he's just one of those guys that just, uh, you know, goes to work and, you know, brings his lunch and just does his duty, and that's it. So he, I, I think he's a guy that's going to make this roster, and he's going to be a guy that's going to do his time on special teams as well, but I think he's going to have a place if someone does get go down by injury or something like that takes place. I think uh, I think Patrick Mahomes has already shown that he's pretty confident in what he he's, his abilities and what he can do and the connection they already have there. Um, I did like what I saw from MVS. Granted, he did drop that one. He probably should have caught. Um, but yeah, I mean, this offense is gonna. This offense is gonna be different. The the the, the rhythm is probably gonna be a little different. There's gonna be a lot of new faces, a lot of um, spreading the ball out. So that's gonna be a whole new thing for us. But I think uh, I think we'll grow to like it. I actually prefer that. Um, so and I I do like we Pacheco was getting a lot of work. Obviously, in the special teams, he was gonna lie. He was he got a few more carries uh, this time around. I. Still haven't seen much from Clyde. I don't know if they're kind of, you know, reserving him. I, I just haven't seen a good boost from him at all. Um, they weren't really getting him the ball in the passing game. Um, uh, McKinnon had that good catch and little little scamper down the field, which was pretty nice. Could have broke that one for a little bit more, but he stepped out of bounds. Um, I liked what I saw from Noah Gray. That was a great little breakdown play. He knew how to get to the soft spot, and then there was nobody behind him, so he identified that and broke free downfield, and Patrick, uh, Patrick found him when the play break broke down. I loved that play. Um, that's just a good progression from the um, the knowledge of the game and the, and the offense and the connection between him and Mahomes. I like seeing that from Noah Gray because I think he's got a future on this team. Um, other than that, Karloftis leading the team in sacks, like I predicted. Um, yeah. Uh, Colin Saunders looked really aggressive and fast. I like that. So those are pretty much my takeaways from the, from the, from the ones for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the way Patrick Mahomes was out there just distributing the I love how he's starting to distribute the ball more and more and more. We're starting to see that involvement uh, from Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback, as a as a slowly becoming that veteran present, being that uh, that leader in the in the offensive side. Obviously, he's been the leader, but now we're starting to see that mature mature side of Patrick Mahomes, more more calm in the pocket. Uh, he he doesn't for, he hasn't forced any. I mean, it's preseason. We've only seen the about 
three drives of Patrick Mahomes, but I love how he's not forcing the ball where it doesn't have to. Uh, that throw he he threw uh, he overthrew uh, MVS uh, in that game yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was a little chemistry issue there because I, I feel like MVS stuck to the route instead of like breaking away from the route. Just keep on, and I think Patrick Mahomes like the connection he had with Tyreek Hill. He knew Tyreek Hill was going to break that route. So it's just little things here and there. I'm sure if Juju was in there, maybe Juju being a prop, probably a better receiver would have broken the route and just you know went for the ball. That's but, just reps. Yeah, yeah, that's just, that's just reps. That, that I'm not concerned about that. I think the connection they both already have, uh, MVS and Patrick Holmes, is great. Yeah. Uh, I do think uh, MVS could have caught that ball, but I'm I'm you know I'm not sweating it. I'm not sweating it. Uh, he's doing his thing, the way he's distributing the ball. I'm also concerned in the running game. I don't know if it's the run blocking or it's our running backs not finding the gap. I, I I've seen I've seen a couple of run plays this uh, yesterday where Clyde Edwards Taylor just took the wrong took the wrong turn and, and he missed the complete open gap and I don't know if he wants to stay behind our offensive line and and not breaking for the I I don't know. Uh, I would love to see Clyde that that's always been his downside. Downsides, uh, downside in uh, in in, the, in his running back game is yeah. not find not being able to find it's that the burst. That gap. That yeah. burst yeah. And Pacheco, uh, obviously, he's a rookie. We can't really knock him for anything. He's still learning the system. He's still learning the the plays. Uh, but he was also a little struggling a little bit with finding the the open gap. Uh, not too concerned there. It's preseason. Our our offensive line is going to get going. It's going to start clicking. And I think our our, our run game is going to be it's going to be good. I don't want to say great, but it's going to be good enough. Maybe week five, week six, and on. So it's going to take a little bit to get to get that rhythm going. The thing that does concern me is our run defense. That's mm-hmm. one thing that really really concerns me. Uh, yeah, it's preseason, but that that's where. We were starting to see the the other running back, the opposing running backs, just just break through the defensive line. I don't know if it's because Chris Jones was in there, but it's it's our our passing defense. That I'm not concerned about that, but it's just the run blocking. We're starting to go back to what we were struggling with last year. It's just stopping the run. We mm-hmm. weren't able to do that as good as we had been the season prior to that, where, where we won the Super Bowl. So it's 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 a a little concerning but i think i think it's going to get worked on uh i think having not having chris jones there obviously affected the the run defense uh but hopefully the the chiefs saw what we saw yesterday and they actually work on that because that is that that can be really bad if you go into the season lacking that that run stopping defense so hopefully they work on that but other than that it was a was a great game. Overall. I, I, I like the I like the points that you both made. I want to react to them uh, in regards to what you said about the run defense. I, I agree. I think that is something that is going to be focused on going into the season, especially the first five weeks, because they're facing offenses that can run the ball effectively, or at least anticipated that they will run the ball effectively. Um, I will defend the Chiefs' defense in, in some regard because, like you said, Chris Jones was there, wasn't there, but obviously Carlos Dunlap hasn't been implemented yet either. He played some third-string reps last week, but you can tell that this 32-year-old guy is just here to 
to play some football when in meaningful games. So adding those two back into the equation, along with the fact that Danny Shelton, who literally looks like Professor Clump with a helmet, like, and I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. I'm saying he's a monster. This yeah. dude is free. He looks. He makes George Karloftis look like a freaking defensive back. Like he he makes and George Karloftis is a big man. So like I don't know if you guys heard that George Karloftis that little uh, nickname that we finally heard that I think is going to stick. I saw it on Twitter. Furious George. Mm. I love that. I think that's a great nickname. So I hope that one sticks. I've been doing the, the meek Greek, but I don't think people are liking that one. But fuck off. I like yeah. it anyway. Uh, but no, I, I think that once you implement some of those veteran players into the equation, I'm not saying this is going to be some elite run-stopping defense. I don't think they will be. But I could see re- very realistically them being a 15-22 to 22 type of rush defense because that's where they need to be in order to make their off their passing game, passing defense that much more effective. Because as we've talked about, if guys like George Karloftis is out there getting double-digit sacks, dudes like McDuffie are going to have a much easier season on them yeah. because they're not going to be out there trying to scramble for these broken plays every two downs. So I, I think that's a, a large reason why that is the, the case. I think there's just some pieces that are being acclimated still and dudes that just aren't simply there. They're going to be their best run-stopping defenders. Um, a couple of names I want to bring out, and, I'm, and the reason I'm going back to Trevor on his points is about Colin Saunders because he's a fringe player. Mm-hmm. And that's the crazy thing to say because I think a lot of people, the Chiefs included, have been anticipating him to take that next step. Mm-hmm. And to this point of his career, he just hasn't done that yet. Yeah, This is more likely, if he does make the team, this is more likely his last season with the Chiefs. He's not under contract after this season. He's 26, I think 26 years old now. This is that time for, for Colin Saunders to really take that next step. And I think he knows now that they brought Danny Shelton in here. We know that Derek Nottie's going to make this team because Derek Nottie's the better player between him and Colin Saunders. This was his chance. And I really hate, I don't want to get into officiating, especially during a preseason game, but I really hated that penalty on him because yeah. that was a good hit on Taylor Henneke. That yeah. was a really good hit. He put him right on the, he put it right on his chest, knocked him on his ass, and for some reason that was a penalty. I thought that was really ridiculous. It was a good play by Colin Saunders. You saw the coaching staff of the Chiefs defending him, which I love seeing because that's bullshit. He should not have gotten hit for that. But I thought Colin Saunders played an incredible game. Looks quick. He looked really, really motivated. That's what I love is more motivation from both sides of the ball. This is what we keep talking about. That's a theme. Um, but on the defensive side that I think a guy, because I know uh, Justin Watson's getting all the attention, which I understand because he's he's really climbing the ladder of the Mahomes trust here and the Andy Reid trust for that matter because he just keeps snagging balls out of the air. Is, is a uh, a guy that's been a special teams player to this point, a guy that in some regards has been kind of a liability when playing defense, but he shined really big in this game, and I want to give him some credits. Chris Lamonts. Mm. He led the team in tackles yesterday. He had two passes defended and a pick, and a almost pick, pick six. Yeah. Got to about the four, three, four yard line. He's all over the place. Yeah, and again, like winning in the preseason doesn't really matter. Like we're not sitting here like worried about that. You still want to see playmakers he, make plays. He made an impact play, a humongous play. Now, and, and it was a terrible throw, but he capitalized. Yeah. And again, he led the team in tackles yesterday. Two multiple passes defended and made that play. I want to give a lot of credit to Chris Lamont because he's going to make this team. And with Rashad Fenton being possibly down for who knows, I mean he has a, yeah. a, a, a lingering groin issue. The good issue Lamont could definitely step into. Yeah, that. and the, well, the good thing for Fenton is he did walk off on his own power yeah. and walk to the the locker room. Usually, if you have a significant groin injury, you're getting carted off. You're getting right. walked off. You know, you're, something's happening. So I think it's I think Rashad's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe he'll play Week One. The groin, but, but to your a, point. Chris Lamont's guys like that, 24, 25-year-old dudes finally getting a chance to shine. 
did it yesterday, and yeah. I, I got to give him credit for that. And I, I think that was a, a very good positive sign for the Chiefs. Brian Cook, Nick freaking Bolton. Yeah. E- it seemed like every play with the first team defense, Almost he either made the tackle yep. or was within feet of making the play. Like in he coverage. was surrounding. He's making plays in coverage. Yes, and yeah. so like when we talk about these young dudes, we have to remember that Nick Bolton is only twenty three years old. This guy is still a puppy. Yep. Yes, and so we're talking about like all these young it's dudes crazy. that can be like yeah. these day one contributors, like Brian Cook and Trent McDuff. Potentially Leo Chanel down the road. We can yeah. talk about these guys. He looked good as well yesterday. But he's a dude that can go from being one of those guys that's like, oh, he led rookies in tackles to being, oh, dude, he's up there with all the greats and, oh, and he's the a leading tackles. Him and Bobby Wagner are going at it right now for leading tackles. Like, the, I think that's the kind of thing we can see, be seeing from Nick Bolton going into the season, especially now that the Anthony Hitchens thing's kind of off the off the schneid now. Is he on you know, team yet? I don't think he is. I don't, I don't, I don't believe. I'll look. For, I'll, yeah, I'll go look. ahead, please do. But like Elijah I don't, Lee, I don't think so. Elijah Lee coming here from uh, in Kansas City this year. I think he could be an unsung hero. Yeah. Take some of that veteran presence pressure off of uh, Nick Bolton, where he can just play his game. Willie Gay Jr. looking phenomenal this this preseason in, in the OTAs and mini camps and tra- training camp. He looks like he's about to be breakout. So I think the linebacking core for this team, for the first time since Derrick Johnson's heyday, is going to be a very good linebacking core because we know we've fast. been it's it's been terrible. Here. The middle of the field has been wide open. Missed tackles, missed opportunities. The safety core is going to be nuts. Justin Reed and Brian Cook have looked phenomenal. Uh, the fact that the Chiefs went and got Lonnie Johnson and essentially sacrificed a seventh-round pick, which in totality isn't major, but the fact the Chiefs are willing to let go of that seventh-round pick essentially for getting Lonnie Johnson tells you just how deep they are at that at that position. And Rashad Fenton being there, hopefully healthy by season's beginning, will help them big time. Was it a hamstring? Uh, groin. He had a groin. But he walked off. He did walk off on his own, so that's a, that's a great sign. But on the offensive side of things, the fact that we see such a fluidity without not, not only just new pieces across the board, but the fact that Juju hasn't gotten a single target, mm-hmm. the fact that Sky Moore still ha- he didn't get a single target yesterday. I think maybe he got one, but it was later in the game. McCall hasn't been McCall, ha- McCall's got one target, yeah. and they're still out there. And Patrick looks this fluid. And to your point, Eddie, about MVS not getting that chemistry down of like Travis Kelsey talks all the time about. I know that defender's there, and I know that's the play is for me to go there. But I'm gonna break off because Patrick knows I'm gonna do it. I mean, we, we didn't MVS even, needs to get that down. We didn't even talk about the most important guy yesterday. Mr. Jody Fortson coming in. Oh, I mentioned two. it earlier in my opening dialogue, but yes, oh, yeah. like we can expand on that I'm saying as far as like the back and forth yes. here with yeah, the yeah. offense. I mean, Jody Fortson, I mean, that was, that was the guy I was super excited about last year. Then he, he looked great when he, in the first few games and then went down. So now, I mean, if him, if him and Travis Kelsey can both be healthy together this season, then you got Blake Bell and, and, and Noah Gray. I mean, that, this tight end room skill-wise is going to be – Insane. Yeah, you, oh, might, you might run four deep in tight ends. You could. I wanted to bring this up, though, because I talked to Trevor about this last night. We were, we were having a discussion while we were watching that insane UFC card that hopefully we get to in a little bit. But I I think it, there's, there's an interesting dynamic at play for the Chiefs offense moving into these roster cuts. I know we've not seen Ronald Jones yet. But I think there's a chance he's making this team. And, and I'm going to hear, hear me out. And the reason so. why is there's an opportunity here. So we, we know that the Chiefs last year came into the season with four tight ends because they had four guys that can play effective key roles for this team. Travis Kelsey obviously being the producer. Noah Gray being that up-and-coming guy that can block really well. Blake Bell being a, an elite blocking a tight end. And Jody Fortson just being this absolute specimen that can go up there and grab a ball from 15 feet in the air. So we knew the relevance was there. Well, now that Blake Bell is injured and is 
one year older will more likely end up on the pup list to start the season, there's an opportunity for a roster spot to come available. And here's why I think there's a chance that we could see four running backs on this roster this season. For one, as big as I am on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we all understand full and well this man has missed multiple games in his career and has been unreliable in some regard. So there's a worry there. Isaiah Pacheco, as big of a hype train as this guy has right now going for him, he's unproven. He's a rookie. He's seventh-round rookie. So there's, there's some concern there for us to just, all right, let's just throw him out there. He'll be Kareem Hunt. You can't guarantee that. And then Jarek McKinnon, as much of a baller as he was in the playoffs last year for the Chiefs, there's a concern that maybe he can't replicate that. He's in his 30s. He's an undersized running back, and he's injury prone, mm -hmm. which leaves who? Ronald Jones, a 25-year-old running back who is a big physical back that is multiverse. He can catch the ball out of the backfield and run between the, a and the B and C gaps and things of that nature. He, right now, as it currently stands, is the most proven running back on this team. Think about that. He, right now, would if I had to put my trust in one particular back, I'm not saying he's the best running back, but if I had to put my trust in what I know is going to come from him this season, it's going to be him. And so I know as crazy as it sounds because of the fact that Chiefs haven't played him essentially at all in preseason. Yeah, got any work. Essentially, he's done nothing. I almost think that's, a, that, that's them doing this on purpose because of the fact that if you look at it, if you were trying to trade Ronald Jones, yeah. you'd have him out there playing a ton. Put him on so you could say, hey, you guys give us a fifth-round pick, a fourth-round pick. We'll give you him. Look, he's gotten 13 rushes. He's averaging four and a half yards per carry. He's 25. Come get him. Right? They're not doing that. If they were going to cut him with the respect of who he is mm -hmm. as a good player, a proven player, they would have cut him earlier to give him an opportunity to go get on a, get on a better team. Right. So what other option is there left? I know it sounds nuts because they're not playing him, but what other reason? He's not hurt. He's not injured. And he's a good player. So what other reason would there be for them not to do this? So I think as it currently stands, and this could change, I think there's a good chance because of these factors the Chiefs hold on to four running backs going into season until week one. Yeah, and it makes sense for the simple fact that Derek Gore towards the second half is usually getting the most snaps. Therefore, I guess it proves your point that they're uh, – showcasing him for another team if another team wants him yeah. as a backup running back or whatever they want to do with with so I yeah uh what you just sold me I, I'll, I'll buy it yeah. uh, it, it makes total sense but I just haven't like for me I just haven't seen enough from Rojo to 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 say yeah he deserves to stay uh yeah we, we need to I just haven't seen much I haven't seen Really, nothing from him. I don't know if it's intentional that they're doing that. I don't know, but yeah, whatever you sold me, I bought it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bodies in this room. Um, I think Rojo's proven it. Not necessarily with the Chiefs yet, but we've seen, you can go watch his tape. You know, in his career so far, I mean, the guy's got the the ability to be a starting running back in this league. So I, I 100%. I'm right out there on par with you. With having all the bodies with the with the injury prone guys we do have in this roster, talented as, as they are, are definitely uh, injury prone. Um, and I don't even know, like, Derek Gore, I don't even know how if he's going to make this practice squad or if he's going to make, you know, whatever. Because that what other kid, what, Fleet? Fleet uh, Davis. Yeah, he looked good too, man. That little spin move and then finish. He's just got two touchdowns on back-to-back -back plays. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> like, he had juice, and then he made that tackle on special team yeah. right away after that. I was like, okay. Like, that's going to win a coach's heart. So there's just so much talent and depth in this running back position. I think I think that I think it makes a whole lot of sense to have to carry four guys. Yeah. I really do. I think it I think it makes more sense than it doesn't. And plus it gives Andy Reid because I'm really fascinated with him going into this season because as we talk about Patrick Mahomes proving I don't need Tyreek Hill to be great. I, you know, I can lead this team without a great wide receiver. Yeah. 
I think this is also great for Andy Reid because of the fact that we know that he's a he's a coach that's very progressive. He always stays one step ahead. He's not afraid to change things and adapt at times. I think this is good because of the fact that if he has a stable of really effective running backs, he's going to have to start running running the ball a little bit more and passing the ball out of the backfield, which is something, ironically, he's been historically great at with Brian Westbrook and Kareem Hunt, Jamal Charles for that short little window he had. Those are the kinds of offenses that Andy Reid is actually at his apex. Yeah. Sure, it's fun as shit watching Patrick Mahomes chuck the ball 70 yards downfield to Tyreek Hill with the big play, but we saw the league adjust to that. We saw the cover two schemes. So now that the league has done that. I like winning. Patrick, why does Andy Reid go? <laughs> what does Andy Reid go back to that 2004 offense? That although he had Terrell Owens, Brian Westbrook was still getting 80 catches out of the backfield. Yeah. Like I like the idea of having a little bit of a running back by committee, where Isaiah Pacheco is going after running routes. Clyde's getting the ball. You know, uh, we've done it before. Exactly. We just did it with uh, Damian Williams and uh, yeah. when, when we had the both Williams, Dar- Darryl Darryl Williams, Gold. Damian Williams, yeah. and Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so why can't we go back to that? And especially this season where you're going to need more of that because obviously it's a whole different uh, ball game for the Chiefs. It's adjusting to not having Tyreek Hill, having that special weapon. Uh, so it's adjusting to that. So that would only make sense. You know, it would, it would, it would, it would brought, brought in the, uh, the playbook. It would make the playbook a lot bigger. Uh, uh, Andy Reid can be more creative. Can't, f- he won't be able, he won't, uh, be focused on forcing the ball to just one player and focusing on one player. Uh, Patrick Mons will be focusing on giving the the ball to Tyreek Hill all time. So this 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 is bringing another level to to the Chiefs that we have not seen before, and I think this is going to be a great season for for this offensive uh, offensive team. And think about this real quick. I want to throw this out there to, to to piggyback off that take is the fact that we all know the ultimate goal here for the offense to stay as effective as it has been over the last 4 years is to bring the defense up and force them to have to try to you know collide with that great offensive line and then what's that do that opens up everything downfield because if we still we all know Patrick likes to unleash that ball and throw it deep son you know we we know that's the thing right mm. okay you lose Tyreek Hill that automatically makes that much 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 more difficult you utilize the flats even more this year where there's the quicker checkdowns getting the ball out of Patrick's hands letting them cre- let the guys create with their feet and getting yak yards when the defenses have to start respecting that by week 4 week 5 week 6 all of the sudden, guys like MVS and McCole Hardman become that much more imperative to this offense because their breakaway yeah. speed ability, you start you know, getting that on film where, hey, bro, you got to get that upper pressure. You got to have press man. You got to have press man against Sky Moore and against these other receivers. All of a sudden, dude, MVS, that breakaway play we saw yesterday, that connects. Then all of a sudden, he sees that film, and he goes, all right, we'll work on that. By week six, I'm going to have a 55-yard touchdown off that same exact play. McCole Hardman, on a big fucking out route, you know, a little fade route, all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes hitting him for a 48-yard touchdown. Those plays start to happen. So then, defenses have to start guessing of what the next fastball. Yeah. Are you throwing the two-seam? Are you throwing the changeup? Are you throwing, throw throwing the curveball? You have no idea. Exactly. Dude. And then the RPO, then the RPOs start to open yeah. things up. So what I'm saying is, I, what I want Andy Reid... <laughs> He knows this game far more than I'll ever know. He'll forget more football than I'll ever know. My point, though, is I the challenge I have for Andy Reid this year is to get a little mad scientist on his play calling this year with Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy leading the way where let's mix this shit up. Let's get creative with our style where we're not trying to force feed our star receiver anymore because we all know Travis Kelsey's going to get the bulk of the receptions here. He's still the main. Yes, he's the but, but we all know that with all the mouths to feed, that's actually a good problem to have. 
because the limitations aren't there anymore where you're looking at like, man, if we're not feeding Tyreek Hill and, Pat and Travis Kelsey's getting doubled, we got to hope that Byron Pringle has a big game. Now it's, well, you know, these two guys are locked up. I guess we'll have to either deal with Juju, McColl, MVS, Sky Moore, Justin Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Lair, Rojo. Shit, that's, man. That's, this how, is, that's how it felt when we had healthy Sammy Watkins. That's exactly. The multi, the, all these options for Patrick Mahomes to pick the, his teeth with, yeah. that's what you want to That's yeah. a, That's the best problem to have. I just love Justin Watson. What I've seen from him is phenomenal. Effort. Him and Patrick Mahomes already have that little connection. He's the he's the Garrick Dieter 2.0 for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's he's a by the book guy. Better, better player, better player, better player. But no, I, you know, my favorite part of the day for Justin Watson wasn't even the fact that he looked effective again. It's it's the camaraderie factor where you know he made it. I was telling this to Shane and Clay yesterday when we were watching. If you cut. watch you watch the sidelines, I think it was like in the third quarter. There was McColl that wasn't even dressed for the game. It was McColl. I think Juju, Juju was, was there. Dressed. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Justin Watson. He had a little towel like this, and he's chilling with the fellas. These are like the these are the, the premier guys. These are the marketing guys. You know the ones they oh, use. The yeah, for all the posters and everything. And you got Justin Watson sitting here chilling with them. Like this dude made it. Like, he's in the inner circle. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to be a wide receiver two no, or even no. wide receiver three. He's clouded. But he's the kind of guy that's going to go it's out there on a, ran, yeah, on a random week and grab himself two touchdowns. Like, a he's going to be that guy. Exactly. Where you saw Byron Pringle against the Steelers in the playoffs snag two touchdowns in that game. And that's actually the point to give credit to Shane. He said that he is that Byron Pringle replacement. Mm -hmm. The guy that's going to give you 450 to 500 yards and two, two touchdowns, but those touchdowns come in a big game. That's the kind of guy you want to have on this team that's all about ball and is a special teams guy because Justin Watson can play special teams and he can go out yes exactly and he can go out there and make plays when you throw him the ball he doesn't need to get reps he doesn't need to get a bunch of targets to make an effective play he can just be that guy that you can rely on on a big moment in a big game to make that big catch and that's why I'm so excited guys and I'm I'm telling you this is why I bring up Patrick Mahomes' numbers going into this season because of the fact that also something that's been so overlooked about this Chiefs offense not even just as in, in an entirety of the four uh, season stretch, but individually each and every four, every one of the four years, this is the craziest stat of them all. And I post this, Trevor and I have talked about this. I'm sure Eddie, you saw me post this. That every single season that Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback here in Kansas City, they've had a higher scoring percentage than the greatest offense that has ever existed in the 2013 Broncos. The 2013 Broncos scored on 47.5% of their drives. Mm -hmm. Peyton Manning had the greatest season in the history of the NFL by a quarterback. And every single season since Patrick's been the starter, they've had a higher scoring percentage than the 2013 Broncos. That is the wildest stat that I can't believe gets overlooked. It gets overlooked because I, even myself, just found this out. I was listening to Marcus Spears talk about it, and I go, no fucking way. Let me go look that up. And every single season, they've had a higher scoring percentage than that great Broncos offense. I, I, it's, I it's couldn't believe it. It's Tyree, Clance. That's why. <laughs> Just won't play hey, yeah. and and I want to put this record straight. I'm going to miss Tyree. Of course, we're all going to yeah. miss Tyree. I'm tired of that narrative. Y yes, but uh, th this idea that now because the Chiefs don't have Tyree Kill, that, that they're going to take this suck. massive step backwards. It's like, it's like when 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 Peyton Manning left Marvin Harrison, you know, and he left that whole the whole Colts world and all that stuff. That you know, they left that legendary offense led by him. And then he was like getting older, and then he went to this offense. The Broncos had even a better offense with that Broncos team than he ever did with the Colts. You know what I mean? So it's like, 
that narrative is just silly when you talk about the weapons make the quarterback. Well, to that point, real quick, and I, Eddie, I know you have a thought. So in 2008, that was Marvin Harrison's final season, right? Mm. 2008, uh, Tom or uh, um, Peyton Manning completed 65% of his passes, had 4,040 yards. Uh, I'm sorry, 4,002 yards with 27 touchdowns and 12 picks. The next season, Peyton Manning completed 70, almost 70% of his passes, 4,500 yards, 33 touchdowns. So his numbers actually went up insane, without man. Marvin Harrison. And again, Marvin Harrison was at the end of his career and things of that nature. But the point Still is, legend, like you said, like one of the best ever. And I brought up Tom Brady losing Randy Moss. And the next season has one of his best statistical seasons. It, Matt Stafford losing Calvin Johnson. I, I think a lot of people just forget about like personal inspiration for great players. You know what I mean? Like we've seen LeBron have incredible seasons with terrible surrounding rosters. Right. You know, and he has some of, some of his best seasons, 2018. He didn't have a great roster around him. That was arguably the best LeBron we've ever seen. I think we, I think we really, really underrate the 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 inspiration, the personal inspiration, bulletin material stuff that that and the chip on the shoulder of these greats and what they're capable of when their back is against the wall and then when the narrative is against them. And I think that's Mahomes is constantly eats narratives alive. And I'm just, I'm so excited to see what he does with this one, man. Well, because you know what eats up, you know what eats up, Patrick, to know. That for in some regards, things that he couldn't control that were outside of the realm of his control have kept him from winning more Super Bowls. Yeah. But there's also factors that he brought on himself that kept him from winning another Super Bowl. You know that's got to eat him up. Because as we all know, there, there are factors in our lives of people around us that we can't control that do affect us. And that pisses us off. Because we're like, you know, I, I had this opportunity, but my cousin did this, or my nephew did that, or, or fa- even like best friends, they fucked you over. And you're like, damn, I missed out on an opportunity. But nothing's worse than when you know it's on you. Mm. When you know that you did something wrong and you fucked up. We all know Patrick Holmes absolutely choked in that AFC championship against the Mingles. The greats, pa- the greats prefer that, though. We, they, we, want, yes. they want to know that they lost and won. They we won all know. lost because of them. We all know that if, if Chris Jones gets a single sack in that game, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl that year. Mm. But also, if Patrick Holmes doesn't go nuclear on the opposite end, because that first half he couldn't have played better football, yeah, we if he doesn't go on the opposite end of that, the Chiefs win by two or three touchdowns. Smoking. So that's the point, is that Patrick Holmes has had to sit here for seven months and think about that, mm-hmm. knowing good and well that he should, be in a, he should have played in three consecutive Super Bowls. He's going to do everything in his power, now especially losing his best receiver, to prove his point, not even just statistically, because the NFL 100's coming out. We all know that he's going to drop on that list. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Aaron Donald number one. It's going to be Aaron Rodgers number two, and then Patrick's going to probably fall like number five. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? And it's going to piss him off I, again. I know you say Aaron Donald number one, but I think they're going to put Joe Burrow number one. I um, swear to God, no, I, no, think, no. I think they're going to put Joe Burrow, no Aaron way. Donald, no. and then I Patrick. I swear Mahomes. to God, if no. they put Joe Burrow they're at the top that, of this they're not list, that dumb. I'm convinced. I, 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 I mean. I just Joe think Burrow will not be ahead of Mahomes on that list. I will, yeah. That that no, will just make that list no just un- insufferably un- incredible. You just you couldn't. He hasn't won shit in this league yet. Mahomes is an MVP and a Super Bowl and, champion. And Joe Burrow, it took Joe Burrow four playoff games last year to have as many touchdowns as Patrick Mahomes had in the first half against the Steelers. Right. So I don't want to hear that. I, I really don't want to hear that. That ain't gonna that happen. Narrative. <laughs> yeah, the I don't want to. But I, I not do, that I even care about these lists. No, no, no. I'm just, that, I think that that is something I Patrick think, cares about. Patrick does because you saw him against the Bears in 29. When they had him at ranked number four going into that year, he counted off and he goes, "Oh yeah. shit! I guess you guys have me at four. I just beat this. I beat the Christ out of this team by twenty on Sunday Night Football." When he did the when he did the ten fingers. Oh yeah, number ten. He got selected number ten in the draft. He, exactly. He, he pays a chip. Patrick Mahomes feeds off of that negative media, off of that petty patty. Neg- yep, yeah, off of that negative. Uh, 
that negative narrative. I yeah. think that feeds Patrick Mahomes, and I love Patrick Mahomes because that 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 fires him up, and he wants to prove them wrong. Sometimes the greats prefer being doubted than they do being doted Praised. and yes. doted. Yeah. Like honestly, that's the they prefer being doubted over doted a lot of times because once you get all that praise all the time, it becomes like accustomed to it, and you know, you don't get inspiration from being great already. You get a little yeah. soft you, in the you belly. Need you someone know? to doubt your greatness. Well, I admit it without, yeah, because there's you know nothing. I mean? There's nothing more refreshing as a great athlete than reminding someone who you are. Why like, do you think Michael Jordan yeah. literally made up shit? Of course, he talked about how George Carl disrespected him <laughs> on the court. Like that never happened. I or the, the the one backup dude for the Washington Bullets. <laughs> I don't even remember the dude's name. He said he, he this guy was like talking shit. Guy's like I never talked anything. Yeah, I mean, man, what are you talking you know, about? Manti creating girlfriends. You know what I mean? <laughs> Man, Titeo creating like, girlfriends for inspiration. There, there, are, there are things that these great, like Tom Brady. I saw the video of Mark Wahlberg calling him the goat after he won the Super Bowl, and like it was a 2018. And you could tell Tom just did not enjoy that moment. Yeah, like he loves Mark, they're friends and everything, but he's just like, ah, stop. Even, like, even, I, even, I even when to the Patriots that. were making that another another run of the Super Bowl, we're still here, bruh. Yeah, no, the whole campaign off. was we're still here. People, you think the people forgot about the Patriots and Tom Brady? What the <laughs> fuck? And, and I love Tom Brady because his attitude is like, like they himself. ask him, they use, they always ask us like, what's your favorite? Super Bowl out of all seven, he was like the next one. Yep. Yeah, that's a Facts. great that's a great thing and, to say. I hate doing that. And and here's the here's the thing, bro, is that people there's this weird this weird uh, situation that's going on with Tom Brady and the Bucks, and I don't want to delve too far off on it. Yeah, but. I think that it's all coming full circle on Tom Brady, not in a negative sense, but I think just a reality sense because you see the retirement, and then 40 days later he comes back, and then we hear the tampering, and then we see that he's missing camp, and then we're hearing all the injuries for the Bucks, and they got a new coach, and they got... There's so much influx for Tom Brady right now, guys. I I posted this on the poll. I'm wondering if it's if, yeah, if, if, if this is, if this is something yeah, to read this, into uh, or not. I really wonder if this is something to read into or not because... The the Bucks team. Everyone talks about how they're a Super Bowl contender and they got all this stuff going on for them. And they, you know, they, Tom Brady's there, so they're going to contend for yeah, Super Bowl. I'm wondering, man, like what's happening with this team? Because Tom Brady didn't want to be there. Yeah, Chris Godwin's still not back. Mike Evans is hurt. Russell Gage is hurt. Tristan Wirfs is hurt. Ryan Jensen's out for the year. Leonard Fournette was fat. Coming yeah, to camp. I lost that player yesterday. Yeah. Dominick yeah, Sue and JPP won't be back. Like, yeah. there's a. Well, that I don't know, man. That like, ain't I'm same. worried about that team. Well, our, show, our prediction show is in two weeks' time. In two weeks from now, we'll be doing our prediction show. If things don't change for the Bucks, man, I'm not so big on this team this year. I'll was, just say that right now. To, it was reported today that he's going to be returning to camp yeah, early this it. coming week. So. Okay. But, yeah, I heard the mass singer rumor. I, I don't believe yeah. that for one single second. I highly doubt. I mean, it, 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 no, I mean, it was shot. Tom Brady. It was shot cannot, down by a lot of sources. Real. It, it was shot down by a lot of sources. Look, you guys know. You guys know. I'm not. A, I'm not a Tom Brady guy. You guys know that. Yeah. But I'll defend Tom Brady in this. I do believe that football is a forefront for him. Outside of his I'm not family, doubt the man's passion for I the game. can't Absolutely imagine not. that he's out there dancing and singing on a show yeah, when he knows it's supposed to be a camp. I yeah, just don't believe that. I, I don't. They're playing like, golf. I watched the, I watched the captain. Not a Tom Brady thing. I highly recommend the captain uh, documentary to everybody out there. The 30 for 30. Uh, not 30 for 30, but it was an ESPN uh, documentary for Derek Jeter. It was absolutely fantastic. But even Derek Jeter, another guy that was just overly competitive and had to find a chip on his shoulder. He's one of those guys, like you mentioned, talked about at, when he snapped his leg in the 2012 ALC, ALCS against the Tigers, and he had to miss almost all of the next season with injuries as well. At 39, 40 years old, finally retiring in, in 2014, he talked about how the game started to feel more like a job for the first time in his life. 
That's when your mindset changes. That's when your body starts to change. That's when things start to change for you. And that's when you realize the end is coming. Mm. I do believe there's a little bit of that for Tom Brady right now. Because, again, he did retire. He did tamper with the Dolphins. He was trying to become a player owner. So there, he didn't want to be with the Bucks. That's why he got Bruce Arians fired. That's why all these movements have been changing. Well, apparently he was going to go to the Raiders. You know, I didn't hear that. I know you guys heard that during no, the UFC. I didn't hear that. No, Dana. Even I even watched the the post fight yeah. conference. Dana White got asked about it. He doubled down on it. Yeah, yeah. He, and it, if you think about it, uh, what was like that? I didn't want to say it, but what, what was that? Uh, that uh, interview him. where uh, Tom Brady said there was one team that I was yeah. already yeah. like, and he, he was like, that that yeah, gonna, he's talking about Derek actually, Carr. Yeah, it, I think it actually lines up to what Dana White and Gronkowski both. Oh, Dana White. Much Dana said. White is not a dude that bullshits. Dana White's a yeah. straight shooter, bro. He would not make that shit up on live TV. A, Gronkowski pretty much agreed to it. Well, Gronk, Gronk he pressed him it, on it, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, I guess I'm going to talk about this on live TV." He didn't want to, but Gronk's the one that brought it up and like brought him to, yeah, dude. So, so now it makes sense that Tom Brady that, was talking about yeah, Derek Carr yeah. and the. I think the stories match up. I think the stories add up and. That would, yeah. have been, that would have been. He would never have won another Super Bowl, though. That, going to the <laughs> AFC West, that would have been a mistake, bro. But Did someone say steak? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, yeah, that story is crazy. I, didn't, I did not even, like, supposedly Gruden, Gruden nixed the whole thing. We are literally two weeks away, guys. I can't wait for the show. We're going to have a lot to talk about. I'm sure we're going to have some takes. I'm sure we got some I can't hot wait takes. to be so fucking wrong. Dude, Billy Hodge is going to be paying close attention to your stuff, Eddie. Just, just be ready. Just be I ready. Know. Uh, before we get to the Eddie Hour, though, I actually we got our, ourselves a nice little uh, voice message from our guy Stanley Simmons out in Fresno, Cali. We love our guy Stan. Uh, he did post a, a message on our uh, Anchor app, so if you guys go to Anchor, hit up the Spoken. You can actually leave us voice messages. Let us know what you guys are thinking about in the uh, world of sports. Nevertheless, no no further. Uh, we need to go. Uh, this is our guy Stan Simmons. Let's hear what he has to say for us today. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, it's been a minute since I dropped a message, but I want to drop one today. I know it was a preseason game, but hey, feel good. The Chiefs looked good yesterday, and, and they actually um, was able to hold off uh, the um, the backups to the backups to the backup Washington football team. So hey, you know, a win's a win, even if it is preseason. But the stars did look good yesterday, so I will give them that. But anyway, what I really want to talk about was. Um, Skip Bayless and uh, Bronny James. I know that's a big pivot, but I just want to get your take on the whole Skip Bayless and Bronny James thing. Marcellus Wally is no longer on first um, speak for yourself. So maybe Skip Bayless will be leaving pretty soon, hopefully. Um, it's about time. What are your thoughts on the whole Bayless-Bronny James fiasco? Talk to you guys later. Have a good day. You have a good day, Stan. We always appreciate you Thank dropping you, messages, man. Love you to death out there, bro. We appreciate all the support. Uh, the the I will be completely honest with Stan on this one. I, I try to avoid at all costs as much as humanly possible to stay <laughs> away from anything Skip Bayless has to stay or not take it as seriously just because I know that the man is just an intention seeker. I do know that there was there was talks about him trying to show up to one of Bronny's games, if I'm not mistaken. Bro, I have no idea. I've I, seen headlines. I didn't even Yeah, read. I didn't even... <laughs> the, the 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 point is that I think that I think if I if I can guess here correctly, I think that Skip Bayless is is seeing the writing on the wall. He's he's seventy now. Um, he he is the pale raisin as I like to call him, and he's feeling the effects of knowing that his entire career has been well not his entire but the majority of the last fifteen twenty years of his career has been anchored upon just swinging on LeBron James's nuts, and that's what he's doing. And so now what he's doing is he's trying to transition a little bit more on Bronny James and trying 
trying to put himself in that category as well. Because if you notice, all the hot topic points in, in, in sports, Skip always tries to be on the opposite end of it. It's intentional, and it's, it is genius because it's kept him relevant for all these years. And LeBron James obviously being probably the biggest, outside of Tom Brady, the biggest name in American sports, it's it's natural that he would go and try to be opposed to him, just like with Patrick Mahomes. If you hear any receipts of, of Skip Bayless talking about Patrick, it's always negative stuff. It's always him trying to downplay what Patrick does because it gets a rile out of people like us here on the Spoken Podcast and our viewing audience audience um i don't know like i said i don't know the specifics of the Bronny james dilemma all i do know is it does not shock me one bit that skip bellis would be on an on a, on, a, on the opposite end of Bronny being successful or anything that has to do with lebron james and his son playing together any negatives i don't know eddie if you found anything or the, not the, i didn't find much i on have the term. actual tweet that was the controversial tweet which for skip bellis's sake this is not a very controversial take i mean I don't know. So the, the the tweet was when LeBron when Bronny had that breakaway dunk, he put that dude on a post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was very impressive. I mean, you got to remember was. how old this kid is. He said, hey, Bronny, dot, 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 impressive, but your dad would have dunked it left-handed. You sure got away with it, though. Trying to discredit the incredible play by this young kid. I mean, the kid's in high school, guys. We, we forget. <laughs> like, we're not... So and he went on. He I guess there was a uh, he he made a video on the on the his Skip Bayless show that he does his own little podcast show that he does, um, and he said I've never seen a reaction to a tweet like my Bronny tweet. I break it down here. He, he oh, posts it. He posts a, a video. I haven't watched it. Wait a second. Yeah. Hold on. Hold, 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 yeah. Hold. Yeah, Whoa. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's interesting because Skip's entire facade and like persona that he plays off of is him swearing by he doesn't pay attention to what he what people say about his tweets. Yeah. But now he's see, okay. Th- now I know what this motherfucker's doing, because he's a troll. He's man. he's tried so hard. I I paid very close attention when I was younger. He's tried so hard for so long to get LeBron to acknowledge him. Yeah. And LeBron never acknowledges him. So what what way could he try to get under LeBron's skin? What's the final act? I don't think LeBron go after his this. kid. But I mean, because the, we all know that's the sensitive part of well, of someone's life is their children. Well, and the irony in all that's this that's so low. This motherfucker. And going. the irony in all this is now. This isn't a bash on LeBron. This is a bash on LeBron's son in comparison to LeBron and what LeBron would have done better. Right. That's what's strange about that, this. That's like, how low he's bro, going. You've been shitting on LeBron the whole time. Now you're going to praise LeBron and shit on his son simultaneously? A twisted reality this old motherfucker he, lives in. Looks, man. Listen, man. I, I'll give it to Skip. I can't stand him, but he is great at what he does. He's on brand. No one he's stirs on the pot better than Skip Bayless. Nobody. Yeah. His takes trash, but I think it's I think it's on purpose. I'll, some of them are genuine. I mean, yeah. he's a Cowboys fan for Christ's sake. So some of his takes are genuinely just terrible. That's just who he is, and I believe that too. But I also know that this guy is a professional pot stirrer, and just this is just what he's always been known to do: get under people's skin, and it's worked for years. It and has. this guy brings ratings because of it. And the engagement on Twitter shows. Yeah. So criticizing a high school kid's dunk, which was a successful breakaway poster dunk. Is a silly thing. Oh, such a get off my lawn type of deal. Is just hilarious. I think Jalen Rose, think, who was like Skip, roasting him too. I think Skip would again. literally retire if if LeBron ever quote tweeted anything he had yeah, to he, say. He reached his ultimate. He reached I'm, the mountaintop. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, he would like. Well, my, my life's over. I don't need to live any longer. I got LeBron to finally yeah. acknowledge me. <laughs> and it's never going to happen, which I love. Like that's the, that's why LeBron's always going to win this at yeah. the end of the day because all Skip's honestly done is. Garner more attention for LeBron James. It's made him even more oh, yeah. of a mogul He's for the brand. Yeah, because when you hate on a player that much and you do everything in your power to make to 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 make him into this demonized player, mm. you're only 
you're only elevating his status because whether it's negative or positive or something in between, people will talk about him and they will only up LeBron's net worth and his legacy and everything else because that's 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 what Skip's that's what's so funny is that Skip thinks he's building himself his own legacy, but his own legacy is based upon another man. How wild is that? Mm-hmm. Like that's the saddest part of all. But I know it's an act. I know it's a gig. I know that's what he does. It's a job. And he's very good at doing his job. But yeah. I just can never imagine living my entire life based upon swinging on someone else and hoping that they'll acknowledge me. Well, the, Pay the, attention yeah, to me. The, the only reason it, he's talking about a high school basketball player is because it's LeBron James' son. Right. If this would have been any other kid, he would have not have tweeted anything about it. Right. It's only because it's tied to LeBron Hilarious. James. And this continues to show like what he's about. So. Hilarious. Hey, Stan, again, brother, we love you to death. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for uh, for chiming in here and there, bro. We do appreciate it. We know we, you're also very active on our Facebook group as well, man. We we really do appreciate you being a part of this. And thanks and for the question. Stay away from Skip Bayless. He's bad. <laughs> He's bad for the immune system. It's bad for your health, brother. <laughs> a day away from Skip is a good day for yeah. your heart. Let's just put it like that. And your brain, quite frankly. All right, let's get to the Eddie Hour. Eddie, what is your thought provoking questions? We do this each and every week. I know you try to get me triggered, and it usually works. What's going on today in the Eddie Hour? Not triggering. Hopefully not. Uh, obviously, we're gonna go. To yesterday, uh, the UFC fight card 278, I believe. Uh, there's three fights that I really thought was like, okay, these are the three big fights out of this card. I uh, will go with the Jose Aldo versus uh, Valishvili. Yeah. I call him Rob. That's his first name. I just go with Rob because yeah. I can't pronounce it. I, pronounce I, just, it I think they just call him Valish. Yeah, he's, okay, so yeah, Valish. Yeah. The Georgian. He's a Georgian. That's all. Um, I was I was extremely disappointed. I I, was, I picked me Rob in this fight. Yeah, I thought he was the better fighter at this current time. He didn't really show me a bunch. I mean, he he gave effort, but he wasn't landing a bunch against Josie because it's just very hard to hit Josie. I was very disappointed in Josie Aldo because Joe Rogan and DC were, were hyping him up. You know, they're like, "Hey, look, he's older now. He's been in the in the game he's for fourteen years. Himself. He's reinvented himself. He's never lost any of his skill set." And Josie Aldo did absolutely nothing. nothing. He just laid against the fence, rolled his eyes, was acting like he was bored against uh, Mirab while Mirab was putting in all the effort to make the fight a fight. Uh, Mirab wasn't very effective either, like I said. But Josie did literally nothing to win the fight at all. And then when they went to the decision, he acted pissed off as if he actually won the yeah, fight. He, he did nothing. Like, like He looked like... Uh, just a, a tad better version of what uh, Rose Madden-Junis did uh, right. a few a few months ago when she literally did nothing and lost her belt because of it. That's what that looked like. I was so like ashamed of Josie. I'm not even trying to sound you know ridiculous here, but a living legend still good enough to fight for a belt at his weight class, which is a stacked weight class, for him to go out there and shit the bed like that was just – and again, he didn't even get beat up. He just didn't do anything, and yeah. it just really sucked. It was a, it was a flatlander because that looked like that had the potential of being the best fight of the night, and ended up being the worst. So it just really sucks that that's well, what how, happened. Yeah, Jose almost always is one of the best fights of the night. I mean, right. that was this was the worst fight of his career. Yeah, that, that looked like I, a that main I've event fight. He that would, looked like a main event fight. It would have been fight. better for him to get knocked out and just lose that way. Yeah, because the way he lost was like, like he was like I don't know, like he didn't. It wasn't like an honorable falling on the sword type of loss. It was like a he just went out there and. Let the dude own him and get all the you know the time and possession of him, pinning him against the cage, and then rolling your eyes, bro. It's your job to get him off of you. Yep. If someone's holding you up against the cage and you can't get out, that they're they're winning. Like that, it's no different than somebody pinning you on the floor, and you can't get them off of you because they have a full mount. Like it's your job to get out of that situation. Like and he was rolling, doing the yawning stuff. Like it was, it felt very immature for a legend. You know. One of the guys that paved the way for a lot of young guys that are—he's one of the greats, you know. what I mean, so especially a Brazilian legend, like a guy that's just one of the the best ever, especially at that weight class. So 
it was a very, very boring fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was just nothing there. It was a very one-sided fight. The fight was being brought to him the whole time. He did nothing. I don't I think he. I only saw him throw. I think he only landed like maybe twenty total strikes. Yeah, if that. If that. I mean, shit. So yeah. none of them were significant. He he didn't touch me, Robin, in any way that like rocked him yeah. or anything. It was easily the worst fight of the night, including the prelims, for sure. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to the to the co-main event, the the love fest. Uh, Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Mm-hmm. Thought. Uh, this fight, was a good fight. It, it, ended up, it ended up feeling like a bar fight. Like, fuck you, Mark. It was fun. You know, you stole my girlfriend. That's yeah. what it felt like. Like, both Costa and Rockhold at the end of the fight, well, most of the fight, honestly, were both just absolutely gassed. It looked like neither one of the guys actually worked on their cardio going into this fight. It looked like they, both of them had the intention in mind, we're going to knock one of the, one of the, one of us are going to knock each other out in the first round. That's what these guys do. Because both of them are knockout artists, exactly. Uh, I, I, I wasn't impressed at all by Paulo Costa. I, I didn't see anything from him that was, I mean, there were so many times. For his standards, where Luke, yeah. Luke, Rockhold literally put his hands on his back and just like sat there and even like put his hands on his on his uh, knees and like bent over and was like begging Costa to just put him out of his misery and Costa wouldn't do it but I also at the same time know why Paulo Costa didn't do it Mm -hmm. because that's also bait Mm -hmm. and Luke Rockhold you saw several times he rocked Costa when Costa dropped the hands and started walking towards him because the moment Costa did that he put a piece on him and a leg kick and you could tell it hurt Costa really bad now Costa won the fight Mm -hmm. but it was more of like a well, he, he won the fight. Won. He won the fight because Rockhold just gassed out after the first round, well, and he, he landed just had more significant left. strikes. He had more time in possession. Like, it, but he, he won. <laughs> I know this triggered Trevor so bad, but at the end of the fight, when Luke Rockhold is laying on Polo Costa Fuck and that, is just dude. rubbing his bloody ass face all over Costa's no, face, that's that's, that was that's so the, barbaric, that's, man. That's extremely disrespectful. It was so disgusting. And I'll give Costa credit. He didn't he didn't bite on the on the emotion side of things. He didn't get all pissed off and bent out of shape. He he just stayed composed. Dude. Fuck this. I already know won the fight. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave with a dub. Rockhold's gonna retire, and he did. Uh, it was it was a fun fight. It wasn't a great fight by any means. Like I said, it ended up looking like two guys that have been drinking since you know the middle of the day, and it was at 11 p.m. and it just it just got really ugly. Uh, but it was fun. It was definitely fun, and I, I wish Luke Rockhold the best because his career is now over. I'm interested to see what what Paul Acosta does after this because I'll be honest with you, Paul Acosta's last three fights. He's not looked good. He's lost two of his last three, and his la- this win against Luke Rockhold just was very unsatisfactory. Yeah, Rockhold, I, I don't know if he announced his retirement like officially, but he was definitely hinting at that. Yeah, and Joe was like congratulating was, him on a great career. I literally, think, I literally think he was drunk that entire fight. He seemed drunk the, but to start the fight and after. It he was, was weird. He was really, really strange, uh, and everyone was talking about that afterwards, like how odd it was. And um, he's one of the greats, though, man. I mean, and kudos to him. He came out there. He was, he was recovering from a staph infection in his leg, which can make you very sick through that process. So he's probably battling through some of that, too. And Costa's just the better fighter at this point in their careers. Um, I do like Costa. I'm a fan of his. Um, he's fun to watch. He's electric. He's got a lot of power. This wasn't a great performance from him either, but it was a good like little slugfest, kind of a drunken fight. It definitely <laughs> felt like a bar fight. It felt like an old Tank Abbott fight. Yeah, you know, any, moment, you, at any moment you felt like one of these guys can just put one on each other and just, they're out. Yeah. Um, so it was fun. He got bloody, mostly from Rockhold's blood. Uh, Casa <laughs> didn't really have a scuff on him. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, that whole bleeding into the Costa's mouth was just that's just extremely disrespectful. If someone did that to me, man, that's I'm cutting your brake lines on your car, bro. <laughs> He's Paula Costa just smiled. That shit was disgusting. He just smiled. 
Yeah, he, he just he took the it. The dude has a st- he was getting through a staph infection. Not that that has anything to do with your blood, but like the dude had a, was ill, and then you're like just open mouth bleeding into another man's mouth and just rubbing out. That shit was. They literally kissed. That was disgusting, bro. That's just they, disrespectful as hell to me. Like I, that's kissed. classless to me. But yeah, I was like, there's no way I pay money to see a porn. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was yeah. There was some uh, fucking bunch of red wings in there. Oh, right. Jesus God Christ! Damn it. All right, next main main event. Uh, for last night, obviously the fight of the night, I wouldn't say. Uh, fight of the Us- century, man. Yeah. Usman versus Edwards. Uh, well, I don't really know how to articulate this one. Uh, I'll just kind of break it down as 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 I was seeing it in live time. So the first round, Leon Edwards really shocked everybody by being the first to ever in the UFC take down Kamaru Usman to the ground. He no one's ever done that before, so that was very impressive. I, I really liked what Leon Edwards brought in the first round, but you could tell that he exerted a lot of energy in that first round to get Usman down, and Usman was breathing just fine going into the second round, which after that second, third, and fourth rounds, Usman put on a clinic. He was beating Leon Edwards in every facet. Took him down, I think, seven or eight times. Uh, Leon Edwards could not fend the takedown. Uh, he was putting combo plates on him. He was hitting him in the chest with leg kicks. He was kick. He was punching him in the in the abdomen. He was punching him in the head. He was putting on really good numbers on Leon Edwards. And by the end of the fourth round, you knew. Okay, well, uh, this is over. Uh, Usman's going to win win this fight four to one in rounds, uh, and he's going to tie Anderson Spider Silva for most consecutive victories in UFC history with sixteen. And it just looked like there was going to just be this uh, basically immortalization of Usman as a UFC fighter because he could have very well made a case. He's the greatest UFC fighter in the history of the uh, of, of this MMA franchise. And then the unexpected happened. And I mean the most unexpected ending of a fight that I have ever seen. I've watched UFC. Trevor and I have been watching UFC the better part of 20 years. And I will tell you right now, that was the most shocked I have ever been. And to this moment, like I, I'm still getting chills thinking about what, what I experienced in that moment. Like Joe Rogan said, I, you had to sit there and think about, did I really just witness what I witnessed? It almost felt like a, a glitch in the matrix where it wasn't supposed to happen. Because of the, how not only how the fight was going, which again, Usman was just dominating him, but it was the fact that we've never seen this man ever really struggle in a fight, let alone get taken down in a fight and absolutely KO'd. And it was a genius fight. It was a genius maneuver by Leon Edwards to throw the left hand to bait Usman to duck away from it to the left and then use his first kick of the night Mm -hmm. in the head. First head kick. First head kick of the night, and it landed perfectly right on that lower jaw and just put Usman to absolute sleep. I'm not mad. I'm happy as hell for Leon Edwards because that was the most, maybe the most historic kick in the history of the UFC. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but that might have been the greatest kick knockout ever in UFC history because of the dynamic of who he... He mortalized an immortal. Think about that. At that point, Usman was an immortal, and he mortalized the man. He made him a human. That was the first time I've watched Usman in the UFC and said, yeah, that guy's made of the same stuff as me. That's when I saw him walk out of that ring. I'm like, yeah, that, he's he's the same as me. Before that, I'm like, yeah, there's no way this dude's from from the same planet. Yeah. And now it's setting up for an incredible 
number three against Leon Edwards and Cameroon Usman because that has to happen. Now, it sucks for me because I'm a big uh, Chimaev fan. He'll I want to see Chimaev get his, his, his title shot, and he's going to continue to work his way up after he beat Gilbert Burns and get an opportunity to put Nate Diaz to pasture. Um, but, yeah, that, that was uh, by far outs- the only ones I told Trevor before the show, the only comparison I can even draw that is even close to it, and it's not close, was in 2016 when Conor McGregor dropped Josie Aldo with, in 14 seconds. Yeah. Well, Josie Otto was was great at that time. He was still at the peak, but McGregor was also at the peak, and people were picking McGregor to win that fight. So it wasn't like this unexpected event of McGregor winning. It was how fast it was, and the fact that Josie Aldo, I don't believe it ever been knocked out before in his career until that moment, and McGregor put that left one right on his head and knocked him cold out. That's the only one I could, like maybe Pat Berry and Chet Congo, well, but those guys I, weren't great fighters. And then, and then, I mean, say what you want about Ronda Rousey, but when she got the head kick knocked out by, That's a good by one. Holly Holm, That's a good took one. her belt. That's a good one. She okay. never recovered. That's a good one. That's what's scary about Uzma, man, because could this rock him, and he could, he could, how is he going to recover yeah, from and that? And he's 35. Humiliation. That's, he's not young. He had the fight in the bag, dude, and he's gonna be humiliated. Like, imagine trying to come back from that. Getting not only not only did you lose, you got knocked out with fifty six seconds left in the fight, and you're and dominating. you heard DC and Joe Rogan going you're dominating. moral victories. Like, yeah, Leon just needs to empty the empty the bag. Dude, yeah, you know, uh, moral victory. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll, and I'll quote <laughs> Joe Rogan here, and I think he, I think Joe Rogan said it perfectly. He said nothing compares. He said it's the greatest head kick knockout in the history of the sport with the most consequences. Uh, the most at stake, the most doubt, and the most people counting him out, including us. Everyone was counting him out, and he's and, and it felt like he was just gonna coast to the to the finish line and just take the L like a man and t- let it go to the judges and just take the L. Instead, he his first and only his one and only head kick lands and knocks Usman out with 56 seconds, and he was getting listen, man. For those of you who didn't watch the fight, Usman outside of round one, which Edwards won that round, yes. oh, and he looked yes. he looked good. He had the takedown. I mean, that fight definitely could have went any way. He could have taken that energy and that momentum and rode it out and just absolutely beat Usman. No, Usman, being the great that he is, dominated the next three rounds. <laughs> and and it, it just I don't understand. I was not expecting it. I was at, I've never born, been more shook in a fight I've ever watched. Not a single fight. Not a cage fight. Not a boxing match. Shook. Just the, the, the pure dominance. Like I said, the only thing I could compare it to, like if, if something like this could happen that I could compare it to, it hasn't happened, but if it did, it's like a, just going to see John Jones out there and get knocked out cold in the last seconds and losing a fight. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. You can't even fathom that. Yeah. I couldn't fathom Usman going and getting knocked out, let alone getting taken down. He hasn't been taken down once in his UFC career. I would have put in every amount of dollar, every dollar I have to my name, I would have put in that towards Usman not getting knocked out. Yeah, whoever whoever was betting on Edwards made some bank, I'll say that. But it didn't feel like you got kicked in the head when you saw it. Like oh it, it shocked you that much that you felt like you Dude, got kicked in the head. I, it took the breath out of my lungs. I could not believe <laughs> what I witnessed. Like I, we all were like just waiting for him to coast to the finish line. Like I said, Joe Rogan even said it. he's like, yeah, they were even saying it on the broadcast. Yes. Like, oh yeah, he's. It looks like he's just kind of. You know, waiting for this the, the the bell to ring and the fight to be over, and he can just let it go to the judges and, and you know respectfully lose this fight. And then with <laughs> a few seconds of them saying that, man, he catches him with that left kick. It was just hey, the and, kick heard around the world. And I want to give credit to Leon Edwards' coaching. Uh, no his doubt. his corner ripping his ass because you heard them in the third and fourth rounds going do not feel sorry for yourself I love the way their accents do that don't you feel sorry for yourself get your fucking ass up yeah, there and yeah. start fighting like the way he was like talking he was like motivating his guys because Le- dude Leon was defeated you saw in the he third and look fourth at his rounds in the eyes. He, he was like looking down he yeah. was, his, his 
I mean, it, he looked like he just like oh, let's just get this over with. And his, I, you have to imagine, yeah. it was like that Rocky scene. You got no heart, Rock. Like yeah. when his coach was getting on him and shit, getting him back in his mindset as a fighter, as a, as a as an instinctual fighter. Because you saw, yeah. Leon didn't think about that. That was and all ironically his his, boom, his boom. nickname is Rocky. And, 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 yes, and, exactly. And when he won and he hopped over the outside of the octagon and was like dapping up Dana White. Like, and the whole crowd's like Rocky. I dude, was like, bro, I was getting chills. And you know, dude. of all people. Dana White would love this more oh, than anybody bro, because this, this is, sets this up for number yeah. three, dude. Like, think well, about and, that, and dude. And all kudos to Leon Edwards. He's worked his ass up to get here. It's been six whole years since he fought Usman, and this is his chance to redeem himself. And he fucking did it on the grandest yeah. scale, the biggest way. Usman beat him by decision, unanimous decision in 2015. Yes. Would have won by almost unanimous decision in this one, and so there would have been no storyline left. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen in the UFC, dude. Like, this, <gasps> this is the best moment I've ever witnessed, and I've watched a lot of fights because I'm an Usman fan. But the more, yes. more we talk about it, the more. Oh, I love the fact it happened. But I love stories, dude. Yeah. This storyline, like, it literally felt like a movie. Yeah. Like you said, Rocky. It yes. felt like a movie. It did not feel real. Yeah. It felt like a scripted movie. Like, hopefully, uh, hopefully, Leon is uh, going to Philadelphia right now, running up those stairs and doing his little... Punching, <laughs> punching some you know, meat. Little, yeah. yeah. All the kids are following him and shit. You it know, was he's incredible, got the sweat, man. Pan, the as, as, a fan, as a fan of mixed martial arts, like, it was... That was incredible. I couldn't have asked for a better main event. Like, that was the best main event I've, for sure I've ever seen. Maybe the best fight I've ever seen as far as... thing he's ever seen and that's joe rogan the dude's been in this right. whole life not only ufc but just being a fighter himself growing up being a champ himself growing up all these things like it's just and uzman being who he is are you know making that path trying to tie that record that anderson silva had yeah. you know putting try to immortalize himself in and in, in, you know possibly the the mount rushmore of mma fighters and to 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 be right there at the grip at the grip uh, having it in your hands with 56 seconds left in the fight and then for that just to be taken away from you like that, man, that that's got, I'm really interested to see how he recovers. 
I'm truly interested to see how he recovers from this, man. Because, like we saw, like I know he's not Ronda Rousey, but the fall when you're that when you're at the, at the top of the mountain, the fall, and then trying to come up and go back up that mountain, that's a tough task for a lot of these uh, elite athletes. And you know, have a lot of ego and pride. Well, yeah, because even like let's say like are you on our testicle difficulties? Yeah, I think I think they're fixed. Okay, yeah, cool. Testicle, yeah. Got our testicle difficulties fixed. Um, the, the thing about if Usman gets this belt back, let's say that does happen. Think about the rest of the the competition, though. It's not like it's going to get any easier for him. Like well, he gets like, back on the top, and it's like, oh, okay, well, the way good. I see it, it's like that that scene from Thirteenth uh, uh, Warrior, which is a fucking fantastic movie. If any of you never seen that, Antonio Banderas, arguably his fantastic best movie. Film. When he kills that those those beasts that everyone's scared of, and he finds out he takes it off and it's the mask off, and it's a man. He's like, it's a man. It's a man. Immortalized. It's like going in and killing all these. Cause he's not afraid. Cause he doesn't look at him as monsters anymore. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's what I feel like. They took that mask off of Usman and, and Edwards, you know, like went out there and made him a man. Shit, man. It's crazy, bro. Yeah. That fight was that was epic. Insane card. Epic. Well, I guess we lost our mics here for a couple minutes. I don't oh, know. did we really? Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. So, I don't know, but I mean, I checked and they're back up, so. We good. We good. What uh, else you got, brother? All right, next question. Where does Albert Pujols rank among the greatest hitters of all time, in your opinion? Without question, top five, and I would I, I would pose the debate that I think he's top three, uh, because of the fact that he's somebody that's in an era full of just absolute sluggers and incredible hitters. He stood out from the rest for the majority of twenty years. Um, at forty one years old now, I believe forty one, if not forty two years old, uh, the the name. Um, the the name that you know we we are the age that we don't really know him to be we we know that he's 41 technically uh, he's got 11 home runs and he had a grand slam this week so even at his advanced age and in his limited roles he's still able to hit with with extreme pop but see he's not one of those guys that just hits a bunch of home runs see there were many seasons and in fact I think he has the most seasons in MLB history if I'm not mistaken of batting at least 320 with 35 or more home runs. I think he has like nine or ten seasons of that. In fact, I think he went almost an entire decade of doing that. There was one point where this man was batting over 320 for his career while still hitting 30-plus home runs. That is just it's, just, it's it's insanely just incredible, especially when you factor in that in, in the last 20 years, baseball has become such an international sport where you're having the best of the best of the best from all over the globe playing in the majors. He's not just facing America's best. He's not facing a bunch of Claytons that, you know, are you know white dudes from from Kansas that are good pitchers, sure, but you're getting also dudes from Venezuela and Colombia and Cuba and Mexico and all these other places that have amazing pitchers and amazing players already, and he dominated them all. Dominated them all. He made it look easy at times. Yeah. So I think that the, the three greatest hitters I've ever seen in my entire life is Barry Bonds, Albert Pulos, and Miguel Cabrera. Those are the three greatest hitters I've ever seen. Mike Trout is close to that, but he, he didn't put up the numbers these guys did at a consistent level because he's Mike Trout was, I think, Outside of Barry Bonds, the better complete player than those other guys. But when it comes to just pure hitting and be able to hit, not just pull the ball, but all over the field. They're just spraying Manny, the ball hey, over Manny the Ramirez field. Too, bro. Manny Ramirez is one of them, yes. But I, I think those three guys are more consistently great. Yeah, King Griffey dealt with a lot of injuries, so yeah. that's the problem with him. Those other guys have these long, successfully healthy careers. I got those are my three, and I think that, uh, that yeah, Albert Pujols without question is one of the three greatest hitters I've ever seen in my entire life. So was life. the question hit or home run hitters? Hitters. Oh, I mean, yeah, 
the dude the dude is more than just a home run hitter like Lance alluded to. Like the guy would clean up, he'd get the RBIs the dude has accumulated in his career is just wild. I mean, you have he's one of the top three guys if you have the bases loaded and you you have to win this game. Albert Pujols might be at the top of that list, you know, with with guys like you know A Rod and guys that you know could go get a a, a massive hit and you know pull it pull it wherever put the ball wherever you want it um, can hit any pitch. Pujols is one of those guys that never had like a pitch where he just could not hit. You know, he's one of those guys that could hit any ball, any time from anybody pitching. He's just he solidified himself easily in the top five all time hitters for me for sure. Uh, uh, you know, with the likes of like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and all those greats too. But this guy did it for so long uh, in an era, you know, where he was coming from that era with the Sosa and all that juice era, the Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is easily the greatest hitter ever in, in my mind, but. Um, Coming from that era, you know, and in, in, in extending that era, but as a natural player, never had been busted for anything crazy. He never had any massive uh, issues in his career with anything outside of the game. He was a purist and a true guy to the sport, and he's done nothing but be an absolute legend of what he does. And what he does is hit the ball, and he hits the ball up there with the best ever. Let me let me, let me, me just, because you guys know I'm a baseball freak. I want to just break this down real quick about Albert Pujols. I love statistics. Not, so, yeah. Okay. From 2001 to 2010, that 2001 was his first season, and 2010 was his uh, second to last season with the St. Louis Cardinals, the first stint. So from age 21 to 30, these were his numbers, okay? He batted 329, 314, 359, 331, 330, 331, 327, 357, 327, and 312. Okay? Then his home run totals, 34. 30, I'm sorry, 37, 34, 43, 46, 41, 49, 32, 37, 47, 42. As RBIs, 130, 127, 124, 123, 117, 137, 103, 116, 135, 118. But the craziest stat of all of it is... Not one single time in that span or in his entire 21 seasons has he struck out 100 times in a season. And here's his, here's his plate appearances. Just just not one single time. The most he's ever struck out in a season was 93 his rookie season. That's the most, his most he's ever struck out in a single season. That's 93 crazy. times, right? These are his plate appearances in that span. 676, 675, 685, 692, 700, 634, 679, 641, 700, 700. And in that many plate appearances, he never struck out 100 times with those numbers. So you tell me, is he not one of the three greatest hitters you've ever seen in the history of baseball? That's wild, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, Albert Pujols yesterday became the uh, oldest player uh, to go four for four with multiple home runs in the game. That put him at 13 home runs. Yeah, and I think he is only seven away from breaking Se- 700. 700 home runs. Oh, and there's, man. what, two players ever? Hank Aaron and, and Barry Bonds, I think, they have 700 home yeah. runs. Because I think A-Rod's finished like 698 or whatever it is, I think. Let's see. Let's yeah, see. I'm pretty sure A-Rod has like 698. He like finished just a couple short of 700. There, and I think there's only two players that have ever. No, no. Is it uh, Babe Ruth? I think Babe Ruth maybe have seven hundred. Seven hundred. It's Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds. Yep. Uh, Barry Bonds, uh, Henry Aaron, yep. and uh, Babe Ruth. Yeah. Only, They're the only, only three. Only guys. three. Yeah. And now, and now, Pujols will join them. Pujols is number f- is currently I mean, sitting at number put, five. You put Babe Ruth Who's number four? A Rod. A Rod. Yeah. Six ninety eight. Yeah. Is it? Uh, Six ninety six. So 696. he's he's about three away from tying A Rod. 
God, I'm so excited for him, man. And A-Rod's one of the five biggest I've ever seen. That's why I mentioned A-Rod. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. If there's one guy I want to at yeah. bat when the bases are loaded and I need to win, A-Rod's definitely on my yeah. list, too. Well, he's one of the five, for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. It, and he was a good fielder, too. He wasn't. And the, that's the reason I asked, like, because uh, yesterday, obviously, he had the 4 for 4 uh, with two home runs. That's in his was, 40s. In 42. <laughs> 42 and 217 days, almost 43 <laughs> years old. I've never seen live. I've never seen a player hit more home runs than Albert Pujols because every time the Cardinals would be in town, I'd go and see him at the Royals games. Hey, just dominate. Yeah. He would just absolutely dominate. I, yeah, so I've seen him hit more homes than any other player. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I'm so glad I got to live actually, and watch him play. I actually got to see him uh, home run in L.A. against the Dodgers. Yeah. So that was fucking. And that's a hard place to hit home runs too, man. That's a hard place to Let hit home runs. Let me tell run. you, Dodgers-Angels games, by far the best experience I've ever had in sure. a baseball game. Sure, sure. I bet Dodgers Padres are just ugly. That's like Chiefs Raiders. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) All right, what we got next, bro? All right, man. Um, All right, next question. Obviously, yesterday we saw again NBA players taking uh, time uh, to play in a gym with uh, Jason Tatum and uh, LeBron James playing together. Crossover. Crossover Mm -hmm. uh, league or whatever. Do you think either their teams or the leagues are going to come and step in, kind of step in and say, it's like, hey, guys. If you get hurt outside of the, uh, uh, kind of like what the Broncos did with the with the one player, so you get hurt outside, we ain't gonna pay you your salary. You know, uh, uh, are the teams gonna end up stepping in, or, or is the league gonna step in and kind of kind of put a not an end to it, but kind of like well, I guess an end to it, yeah. So oh yeah, so these teams in the fr- in the in the league as a whole are in a very difficult position because one of all the American sports, the NBA is the most star driven league. So you have to have those guys out there. And Jason Tatum is one of the biggest young stars in basketball, and LeBron is obviously still the face of Just basketball. Just signed the 90-plus million. 97.5 million, yeah. So um, now he's become the wealthiest player, to, uh, most earned player in NBA mm-hmm. history of $532 million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But the, the NBA as a whole, it, it, they're against this. I know they are. The Adam Silver does not want these guys playing in the crossover, as they were calling this. I think it's the uh, Jamal it's Crawford. Jamal Crawford's Yeah, tournament. Jamal Crawford, the crossover. I love the name, by the way. Um, it, they don't want this. I, I can guarantee you that because there is that risk factor involved, uh, especially LeBron James alone. So that that is something they don't like, and I guarantee you the teams have already talked to these players about it. But the problem, again, the difficult position these teams and the franchise and the league is, is the fact that these, this is a star-driven league, therefore the star kind of call the shots and LeBron James if he tell if, if, if these if this team if let's say Rob Palinka with the Lakers was to dare and go hey LeBron I, don't, I, I can't have you playing on this LeBron's gonna laugh in his face and just walk off and go and play and the Lakers won't do shit about it because they know he is the franchise he is what drives them he is what's brought them success over the last five years so there's nothing the league can do there's nothing these teams can do they can suggest it they can ask them to do that and to your point if they were to get injured then the league and the teams didn't have some you know leeway to kind of talk about hey we're not paying you that 97 million dollars now because you put yourself in that position he can fight it and he'd probably still win but the teams can have that right the point though is lebron jason tatum any of these other stars can do whatever literally whatever the hell they want and there's nothing to do because trevor made this point last week i think when we talked about this the fact that it is the same sport they're playing whereas guys like patrick Mahomes playing basketball brett veach can go hey bro you're not even playing the same sport you're paid to play we can't have you doing that we can't risk you tweaking your knee or breaking your wrist or something of that nature yeah. which is valid but yeah they're not going to be able to do anything about it because again this is a star driven league and lebron is the star of stars yeah i mean and, and like like you said my point again is that this is the sport that, that that they play professionally this is the sport that's within that world um 
So that does change things because if Patrick Mahomes was out there having a scrimmage with some guys, I don't think they'd really be able to tell him much. And, you know, if he was playing some seven-on-seven, seven, you know, with some high schoolers or something, throwing the ball around, they wouldn't really get on Mahomes' ass for that. Um, it's, it's a whole different thing. Um, but I do agree. I think these players are putting themselves at risk for, um, you know, silly injuries that could definitely um, impact their, their season um, this coming season. Um, so I do think that teams possibly should have, if they're smart, they should try to put some kind of clause in there. Like if they get hurt, they shouldn't have to pay the players as much. Like maybe game checks should be a little um, taken. If whatever, however many games they miss, if they say they do get injured, there should be some kind of clause where they take some deduction and then the, the team should be able to pocket some of that money that they would otherwise pay those players. I think that's fair. You know, if some of these guys get like, if they sprain their ankle or, you know, say one of them tears their MCL or ACL and they're out for the year. That's, that should be more on the player than to show on the team because that's completely out of the team's hands. So I agree. There should be. But I also am for both sides. The team should protect themselves. But I also am 100% for the players out there want to go have fun and play with their boys. And, and, you know, I basically look at these games like it's a, kind of like a scrimmage. You know, they're like go play a pickup game at Rucker Park or something or some kind of park. Now, injuries can happen on those as well. Injuries can happen in practice. You know, as long as they're playing the sport that they're within, I don't have too much of a problem with it. And LeBron leading the way, no one's going to be able to tell these guys shit because LeBron is the, on- the leader of the entourage. Yeah. You know, Jason Tatum wouldn't be playing in this. A lot of these other guys would be playing in this. Aaron Gordon, all these other guys would be playing in this league if LeBron wasn't doing that. And LeBron, yeah. you saw the, the, the lines from that, the games. It was wild. The crowd was insane. It, looked, it literally was like filled that gymnasium. The line was like blocks and blocks of people. It looked like... It was. It looked like someone was lined up to go watch an NBA game. It was crazy. Yeah. So the, the power, the LeBron effect of that is wild. Yeah, and uh, the reason I brought this up was because I was reading on Twitter. Uh, I believe uh, LeBron James uh, didn't play the whole game because of the was slippery. Yeah, there was condensation on the yeah, floor. So, the, so that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. kind of like the team was the Lakers. Were like, oh thank yeah. You. Oh, thank yeah, you but that's, yeah, but that's and that's why I came up with this question. Was like, do you think the team should come in and kind of step in and, and and put their foot on like, you know? They ain't gonna be able to tell LeBron he can't play, bro. That's just that's the thing. Like LeBron, LeBron spends millions of dollars on his body per off season. He didn't play in the postseason this year. That's a lot of tread off his tires, and the dude's so used to having that tread on his on his tires. And you know, what I mean, like. I, I don't, and I don't think he's out there going 100%. I've seen some of the highlights and stuff. He's doing like some cool like alley-oops and stuff and playing around. I don't think he's in the, out there. But, I mean, you don't have to go hard to get injured. Injury can happen, yeah. you know, just getting a rebound and coming down on somebody else's foot and rolling that shit. So, I mean, it could happen any time. But I think, that, I think that the players should understand their risk, and I think that there should be some kind of clause, like I said, with the, within the team. And I'm sure the teams that communicated with these players, their dislike of this situation that they're doing. And I feel like the team should protect themselves and the players should also have the choice if they want to do it or not. And why is it that they're doing it more now? Because I've never heard of... Uh, this is the new thing, man. This, yeah, these players I, are more branded now. Outside of the Summer League, the NBA Summer League, I'd never heard of like NBA players playing well, in a... Also, let's be real. It's a part of the culture. We're also, also we're also in an age now where everybody's looking a lot closer, and everyone's got availability to well, and take, the power you know, of social things. media. When we were kids, like in the eighty, nineties, and two, early two thousands, not yep. everyone had a cell phone in their hands. Yep. There wasn't social media. There wasn't things like that. LeBron could put out one tweet. Yeah. millions of people at, right. at a park and go play ball. Yeah, like, I'm gonna be at the crazy. Taco Bell off ninety fifth and Grand. People yep. are gonna show up. You know, like you couldn't do that back in the day. You what? You're gonna put on a paper. Yep. So in two days, people will see it and like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's a part of the brand of basketball. Basketball, especially, like, it's a part of the brand of basketball for sure. It's like to have like you know these guys come out and kind of be a part of their culture and like these small towns and stuff. Go out and, just, and you know, fill a gymnasium and play a tournament. 
it's it's I, I think it's great for the fans, bro. I, I think that's why these guys are doing it. They're not. I don't think they're really doing it for their health. Or yeah, because Rucker Park like, is a legendary place. It's, like, they, it's not like these guys are going out there and getting paid to go play in this crossover yeah. or Uncle Drew, or the, the Drew League, or things like that's for the fans. Right. I think I, it's a beautiful thing for the culture of basketball. Honestly, I think it's I think it's a great thing. Just like when the, they used to have those Rucker Park tournaments and KD would come out and play. Uh, Kobe came you, out and played a few times. Why do you think that basketball has overtaken baseball in, in America's culture and sports? No because, other sport well, is, is more involved with their fans. Yeah, bro. because it's yeah. also you just need literally a basketball and a, and a basket. Yeah, you don't need anything else. Like baseball, you got to well, have a glove, a fun, you got to have helmets, you got to have a bat, yeah. you got to yeah. have a ball, you got to have teammates, you got to have all this other stuff. Basketball, you can just play on your own. Yeah, football, you can't even do that. Shoe deals. You got to have. Yeah, you have all the equipment from football. And you got to have at least one to two other people to even play something close to what football is. Yeah. Basketball, you just need yourself a ball and a basket. So that's why it's taken over. Until like Trevor said, the culture of it, it's 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 it, there's an uprising mm-hmm. where you have these stars, these humongous moguls like LeBron leading the way for these generations of players to want to play basketball and focus on well, that. That's why baseball it. is dying. And think about because it. you don't have those guys in baseball leading the way. There's like not a that. better sport for social media though. Like. There's not a, a sport you can clip better than basketball. 100%. Someone getting dunked on, someone hitting a three, someone hitting a buzzer beater. Like yep. it's like they're quick clips, and without it's like question, you can see their face. Who did it? You don't need to even look and look at no the number. Helmet. Everyone has yeah. So it's like it's a it's a very social media friend sport, and I think that's why it's really been booming the last few years, man. Like it's the evolution of the NBA and basketball alone, high school sports with Bronny James and all the, a lot of these high school players getting recognized now because of social media and all these breakaway plays and cool plays. Like a lot of kids are going to be recognized way earlier now before. They even hit college, yep. so it's. A, I think that's just a part of the the quick clip social media age of basketball. It's really evolving. So, next question. This is kind of just like, you know, a random question. Uh, so, obviously, you brought up the jerseys uh, of the of the Washington Commanders earlier. I was just like pretty much saying that they're the Dan Snyder's of the. Of the yeah, they were complete shit. <laughs> yeah. My question is why. Why is it that all NFL away jerseys are white? Why 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 can't teams pick their own away colors? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think there are teams that wear uh, darker jerseys on roads like the Cowboys. There's like alternative ones you can Yeah, use. I'm pretty sure the Cowboys wear their dark jerseys on the road and I I'm pretty sure like the Colts um, and teams like that whereas they wear like the Cowboys almost always wear their white jerseys at home. I, yeah, I don't that's, know. That's that's because I don't know if there's a particular reason for it. I don't know if there is. I just think it's always been the way they do things. Like the NBA's do the same thing now. It seems like the NBA they wear whatever they want to wear, yeah. whenever whatever home road, yeah. whatever. Like it, it, I don't know if there's a particular reason. That's a good question. I, I don't know if there is. I just I honestly think it's just one of those things where it's like a guidance dependency thing, where it's just like this is how how, yeah. this is how it's always been a structure like a tradition type thing. thing. Yeah, I mean they were. Remember how they were with the cleats for the longest time? Remember Marshawn got fined for wearing those gold cleats? Yeah. Like they were now they're letting you like you know wear like custom cleats and stuff. The NBA lets you wear like lime green shoes with a red jersey now. Like you know like there's they're kind of starting to like let players become their own. Especially the NBA, it's been that way for a while now. But like but like I said, like even with the cleats and stuff in the NFL, they've been like real buttoned up about that. I just think it's one of those things. This is kind of how it's always been. So they just kind of always roll. And I don't think anyone really cares that much enough to. To, I, it could be one of those things that with this younger generation, they might you know a little more swaggy about it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I, I would love to see like a like a cheese all like a black jersey, or you know, as their, as their away games, you know, mm. or like a 
They exactly. do have those alternative all gold too. But yeah, yeah, but they never really wear. They just yeah. put them out for the public to buy, but they yeah. never really wear them on the game. Yeah. So, my, like, why don't they have like that black and yellow? Oh, you know and, me, dude. I'm all about the Chiefs. I've been, uh, t- I've been since the Patrick's been here. I've wanted the Chiefs to like rebrand around him and have some. I mean, new, I don't know like, the rules. I'm so glad that. that we live in the age where we can literally just find this stuff online. Google so, it. according to what I just found, and this is the this is why I love our show because we can just do this on the fly. We don't have to act like do we know life. everything. Because trust me, we fucking don't. Um, but according to uh, this Google search that I just did, uh, the use of white jerseys was introduced by general manager Tex Schramm, mm, uh, okay. who wanted fans to see a variety of po- of opponents' jersey colors at home games. So I guess that's an idea of what it all started. And I think, like Trevor said, it just became a thing where they kind of lost the idea of what the actual like startup was or why the origin of it all. Yeah, I think it's well, it just works, and we just and, and it's not controversial. No one gives a fuck. Yeah, let's just keep doing it. I think that's I think that's probably why they do it. So uh, now it's just like I said, it's a marketing well, tool. It, saves, it, it also saves teams from like making it tough, tougher for the refs to identify certain players. To say like one team comes in, they're on the road, they're wearing like a, a bright red jersey and the other team's like a, a maroon yeah you know what i mean like no, no, uh, so you can't wear obviously the same color that's some, so yeah you, so you would wear like your home jersey like, like kind of like well, I mean, i'm saying like say the so hawks are facing the, or the atlanta falcons are facing the buccaneers yeah so the, they're both wearing their red jerseys no, so, one red's different but they both kind of can bleed no together. i know no so what they do in soccer is if that happens you use your home jersey mm-hmm. your home jersey is usually different or your uh, alternative jersey is usually different mm. That's why in soccer you have three uniforms. You have your home, your away, and your alternative. Yeah. Well, I think the reason they they have stuck with it is because of this reason right here, this conversation we're having. Because now you'd have to like figure out like, well, what jersey are you guys wearing? Like, no, because it, it saves that. Like we already know. No, you're wearing your white ones. We're wearing these ones. Like, no, because uh, saves that whole conversation. I if think. you know you're a, a away team, you know your colors away. Mm-hmm. They're the home team. You know they're gonna wear red. Yeah. So you can't take your red jersey. Right. So that. So I mean that that would just be common sense. I mean. Obviously, I guess people don't have it, but it just—it makes it more—it makes it more fun. It makes it more. Um, it's like, oh man, I can't wait for the jersey release this year. You know I love—I mean? personally love the color rush. I love when we do the red on red. That's my favorite Chiefs thing. Don't say do. that to Shaggy. See, he, I know it's like a curse thing. Absolutely hates the. Yeah, he absolutely hates. I think the, it's so dope. Well, no, I, I love. No, the, I love the red so pants. So Shane actually hates the red pants. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't like when they wear red pants. So. It triggers him. I know. Shout yeah, out Shaggy. Right. Yeah, but. <laughs> I think it would just be more interactive for the fans, I guess, because then you can go and kind of get a different jersey. It's like, you know, they're still wearing that in the field, and, you know, you still feel part of the team or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what that's what I, like. I, that's what I love about soccer teams. If, like, obviously, you get, your, you get to pick what jersey you want out of the, out of the three that they're actually going to wear throughout the season. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not just, oh, look at this black jersey that they're never going to wear, but it's cool. Mm-hmm. Like no, like so. Yeah, it was just a random question. I was like, why do they? Yeah, I haven't actually even thought about that ever before. <laughs> that's just something that's like I said. It's just like entrenched in the game. Like it's something you never really. Yeah. Uh, so all right, my about. last question. This might trigger fucking Lance <laughs> over there. It is official. Deshaun Watson's been suspended for eleven games. Uh, I, I believe it was a five million dollar fine. Thoughts. If it stays as is, and and he only serves the eleven games, which again there's there is a um, a caveat to all of this that I can talk about in a second. If it ends up being just the eleven games and the five million dollars suspension, then Deshaun Watson one hundred percent won uh, this this battle. And the reason why I say that is is the fact that he didn't serve 
what the NFL wanted him to serve. It ended up becoming a compromise because the NFL also doesn't want this to linger into the season. And that's not something they want to focus on. But see what the, the naive perspective from the league and all this is, no matter how much time he might miss out on, this is going to be the centerpiece of his entire legacy for the rest of his career. So no matter what happens, no matter how much du- like the duration of time he's missed, whatever the case is, the moment he's back, that's still the talking point. That's not going away. So when we talk about, well, we're getting back to football, you know, Adam Schefter and Ian Rapport and all these other reporters are like, we're getting back to football now. No, you're not. It's never going to be about football when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Sure, we can talk about how rusty he looked against the Jaguars and things of that nature, but that's a side story. The real story is is the fact that the man's not making sense on anything he's saying. The fact that Deshaun Watson is sitting out here talking about, um, you know, I'm innocent. I'm going to prove my innocence. Well, you didn't. You settled, and you settled, and you settled some more, and you were trying to settle with the league again to take a, 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 a lesser penalty when you thought that you were going to get one initially. And then you go out there with Aditi Kikawala, uh, who in a controlled environment with Browns because she's a Browns reporter, and you apologize to women for anybody that was triggered. And then when the final ruling comes down, you go out there and you talk about you're maintaining your innocence. But then want to apologize again, and when a reporter asks him, well, who are you apologizing to? All women. All women and everyone that was triggered, even you, sir, if you were triggered. Well, what about the women who were victims? This is a literal question from that same reporter. Well, all women. So so his stance doesn't even make sense because he's apologizing, but he's also saying, I'm maintaining my innocence. And the reason I brought up the, content, the, the caveats of this whole thing is that in the actual ruling, if Deshaun Watson does not show remorse and does not show ownership of what he has actually done, what Sue Robinson, Judge Sue Robinson, said he did do to these women, he had predatory behavior, if he doesn't show that, they can extend this dis- suspension even further. So it could go from 11 games to an entire season, like the NFL did once. Does that sound like somebody who's actually understanding what he's done wrong? Because he's sitting here apologizing for triggering people or for doing anything he did to anybody, but is saying, I've maintained my innocence and I'm proving my innocence. You didn't prove anything other than you don't know what you're saying or what you're doing with this said suspension. But as it currently stands, Deshaun Watson won. Because in 11 weeks, and how fitting it is, his first game back as it currently stands would be back in Houston against his former team. It works out really well for him because if he goes on there and beats them in Houston, he gets the last laugh of what took place. And he gets the last laugh against the league because essentially what the league has shown us is if you are somebody that is a predator, if you are somebody that goes out there and sexually assaults people, you can still play football within the next calendar year. That's what it shows me, but but and I know people hate this this comparison because it's not really a comparison, but it, saying it out loud sounds wild. If you do that on the game, though, as a player, you will miss an entire season, no questions asked. That's wild to me. Even though I understand that in the CBA it says you can't bet, which I understand the ruling, and I support Calvin Ridley getting suspended for a year. Saying it out loud, though, that you serve longer time for gambling on a game as opposed to being a fucking predator is wild to me. But, like I said... This is the way things go. This is the new precedent. And anybody out there that has predatory behavior can look at that and go, you know, that's not half bad because I can go and get myself some guaranteed money and give up a little bit of cha- a little bit of change and be back that same season. That's what we've been told. So d- at this current time, Deshaun Watson won. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go down this road again um, and get into this situation too much. Thanks, Eddie. Um, <laughs> but uh, he definitely 
it could have been a whole lot worse, and it probably should have been a whole lot worse for him. Um, I am without knowledge on a lot of things and certain things that actually took place, and what uh, you know the truth is all all the way around. I I one hundred believe one hundred percent believe there is some fire where this smoke is, and it's a whole lot of smoke. Um, so the fire couldn't have been a small one. Um, but regardless of what he thinks and he claiming his innocence and then wanting to apologize uh, to save any bit of face that he had left. Uh, his his entire reputation is tarnished. Um, mentally, I'm not sure how he comes back from this. I, I, if he struggles for the rest of his career, then it is what it is. If he comes back and he's the Deshaun Watson, the great player that we know, you know that is what it is as well. Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely gonna he, his his whole. I mean, regardless of what you think he wins or who lost, he, he lost though in the long run because his 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 whole not only his football. Uh, um, persona and his his personal life, he's he's four percent going to be predator for the rest of his life. He's going to be looked at as a predator for the rest of his life. Um, no matter how much money he makes, no matter how many material things he buys, and the the happiness he brings his family because of the generational wealth he's going to generate, all that is all that is is tainted money. All that is money, you know. Granted, I'm not going to take away the fact that the dude worked hard to get where he's at and he is who he is, but also you have to combine the two you know the fact that he did these things and whatever did actually take place and with the wrongdoings that occurred um he's tarnished his whole entire career and his personal life and his personal reputation as a man um so that 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 for me in the long run is actual loss for him i think he is actually losing here granted he's getting able he's he's able to keep his job um and most the the average person probably would be doing time right now um but not everybody's a multi multi-millionaire uh, and a you know an elite athlete, so there are things in life, you know, the double standards of life. They are unfair. Life is unfair. Things happen. Bad things happen. Good things happen. But um, I'll never be able to look at him the same. And I'm pretty sure damn near everyone, even including his family and pe- the people closest to him, probably can't ever look at him the same either. He probably will never be able to look himself in the in the same light either. Um, so for that, I think he, in the long term wise, he's actually taking a massive L here in his life. So. Um, it's a shitty, shitty situation, man, it's, and this has been going on for a long time. This whole thing's been drug out for so long. But um, regardless of what we think and what we feel and how we like the guy or dislike the guy, he's going to be back on the football field playing football. Um, and it is what it is. That's our reality. So I don't have too much more to add to that, man. Yeah, that's it. Good stuff, man. I appreciate it. And I'm glad we talked about it just a little bit because of the fact there was an update. You know what I mean? Like, we had a final ruling. It's something we do need to address. Yeah. I don't want to dive too deep because I know we, we got very passionate a couple weeks ago about this. And, and that's, and that's I'm a how a good devil's know. advocate. <laughs> you know? And, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think we just needed to at but least address Deshaun it. Watson, so I'm, that's I'm, how I feel. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up, Eddie. And that was a great Eddie hour. So uh, we have one more order of business to get to. Uh, guys, I believe it is called Hold This L. Each and every week we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly L's or not so friendly L's, we promise you, who is ever holding these L's in the world of sports from each one of us, the motherfuckers deserve those L's. Mr. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo Yo Yo, I'll throw it right back to you. Who's holding the L? Why is it F1? Oh, it's not F1. I'm going to give it to Manchester United, baby. Let's go. <laughs> what am I going to give Manchester United? Uh, for the first time in over 100 years, they've lost the first two games of the season ever uh, with the new with the new. Uh, Coach, manager, whatever you want to call it, head coach. And they lost two teams that are not even going to be in the top probably 15, probably top 13. So that that's that's funny on its on its own. 
But not only did they lose, they got destroyed boy game, both games without scoring a goal. They went 3-0, and then they went 4-0. <laughs> and obviously, obviously, this is the team that has Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest uh, player of all time. <laughs> obviously not. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, you, you can't write this joke any better. They, they've been the joke of the league for the past – when did uh, Sir Ferguson left? Probably 2012, 2013, around that time frame. Once, once Alex Ferguson, probably the greatest head coach in soccer history, retired, this team went to shit yeah. immediately. Uh, they haven't won nothing since he left. They probably won one or two trophies. But other than that, they haven't really won anything. There's nothing for them to like to show for and then the way they started this season they can literally go the whole month of august without a scoring a single goal they play liverpool tomorrow uh, tomorrow liverpool is a championship contender in this season so if they don't score against liverpool <laughs> the the highlight for their uh for their august uh goal of the month is an own goal. That that's the only one. That's the only one, and, and it's an own goal that the other team scored on themselves. <laughs> so it's not it's not even them scoring the goal, but that's the goal that that would that would be the, considered for goal of the month for them in the month of August. It is crazy. <laughs> They're sitting dead last in the league table. The last three spots get relegated. There has to be a change. Obviously, they went on a spending spree this past week just just to adjust to to obviously do something we'll see what happens but i mean there's there's still like 36 games left but the way you start the the, the premier league is usually the way you end it so they gotta find something and something quick because this boat is gonna sink and it's gonna keep on sinking so for the reason manchester united you're gonna have to do me a favor and uh hold, hold this l. l trevor twirl who's holding the l for you this week so I don't have an L. I'm actually just going to pay my respects to um, um, a young athlete gone too soon. Um, the brother of Dawson, tight end Dawson Knox of the Buffalo Bills. Um, he has a younger brother who's only 22, who's only who was only 22 years old. He was a linebacker um, for FIU, the Florida International uh, University. Uh, it was announced a couple of days ago um, from his coach um, that he had passed away. Uh, they had not revealed the cause of death. Um, but it definitely shows like there's a lot of people coming out and, and giving their you know their heartwarming words and uh, and then obviously you know the pain that I, I'm sure that Dawson Knox is feeling right now. Me as a person who has three brothers and you know a, a little sister and you know I have four siblings myself. I couldn't imagine you know my biggest fear is losing one either one of my children myself or one of my siblings. So I couldn't imagine you know and then you know being a part of a football family too, uh, you know a family of athletes there's that's an extra layer of um connection there, a passion and and uh you know sports families are are some of the tightest families you'll ever meet, man. You know you see like the Watts, the Gronkowskis and you know all and you know all these families that have a very tight knit uh group of family um just 22 years old, you know, um, a guy that was aspiring to make the league and, you know, follow in his brother's footsteps and, um, you know, live out that dream. Uh, and that's just something he can't, you know, he's not, he's not there to, to, 
to do anymore. So and his family's gonna have to deal with that grief for the rest of their lives, and that's just something I I fear, and I cannot even imagine or fathom having to go through something like that at, at, at 22 years old. So I just wanted to give my heart heartwarming condolences and my heavy heart to the Dawson uh, um, the Knox family. Um, so I just wanted to pay my respects and give him his moment on our air. Um, we didn't know too much about the kid, but I know his brother is a stud tight end in this league and yeah. on a part of a really good team and a team that has aspirations too. So, I mean, I'm with him, you know, in his journey moving forward after this and dealing with the, and having to carry that grief into his season with the, with the team with a lot of high expectations and him being a massive part of that offense as well. It's a lot, man. Um, so I just feel – I felt pain for that family. I felt pain for Dawson um, and, his, and their parents as well. Uh, so the the football community mourns for uh, the loss of the his twenty two year old brother. So I just wanted to yeah to use that real quick. I appreciate you bringing those th- that story to light because it's it's tragic, man. And yeah. I could never imagine what he's going through. And I appreciate you pay- paying respects. To that I got I actually have to transition though and <laughs> and not pay respects to somebody who I actually like a lot. And I know Trevor's a massive fan. I'm sure Eddie's a big fan of his as well. And it's it's going right back into the UFC area of things. And and it's 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 to to Conor McGregor, man. I, I'm. <laughs> Let me let me preface this by I don't want to I don't want to sound like a guy that is like anti fun or anti you know talking shit because actually I love that especially when it comes to MMA and boxing and things of that nature because it adds so much to it because you're you know when you're talking the talk you can literally go in there and you can bang with the dude and, ch- and prove that what you're saying is true and valid and if you don't you get to hold the biggest L imaginable. Well, Conor McGregor was obviously live tweeting throughout the entire card last night, the UFC 278, and I'm assu- I did not know that him and uh, Usman supposedly have really bad blood, but he does not like uh, Kamaru Usman at all. As soon as Usman had l- taken the L to Leon uh, Leon Edwards, uh, Conor went on an absolute ti- Twitter tirade and has not stopped since. Literally been tweeting. I think he's tweeted one, two, three, four, five. Uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 21 times uh, since the loss was official last night. That sounds like me during a Chiefs game. Um, and he's just constantly been just talking shit on camera on Usman, which... In all reality, like, whatever. If you have bad blood or if you don't like him and you want to celebrate Leon, you're friends with Leon, whatever the case is, that's cool. And I know that Connor is just one of the greatest shit talkers ever. In fact, I've often compared him to Muhammad Ali with being able to shit talk the way he does where it's entertaining and it makes sense. It's not just a bunch of just stupid shit. A lot of times he makes a lot of sense and it's it's valid stuff. It's funny and all those things. But a lot of times I think that that that, that some people become a sideshow act. And the reason why I think that Connor is falling into that area is because of the fact that Connor isn't fighting. Okay, that's that's the problem here is that Connor isn't fighting a, enough. And quite frankly, guys, Connor's been losing a lot. So since 2018, okay, since October of 2018, Connor has fought four times, right? So four, so one time a year essentially. He's lost three of those fights. And not only has he lost those fights, he got finished. Two of the fights he got TKO'd, and the other one he got submitted by Nate Diaz. Okay, And he was getting his ass beat in those three fights. The only fight he's won in the last four years was against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who even in his prime was never a great fighter. He was a good, you know, entertaining fighter that people liked, but he was a fan favorite. He was never a great title-contending type of fighter. He was That was never Donald Cerrone. And he fought him at the very like end of Donald Cerrone's career. That was only that's the only fight he's won in the last four years. So 
It's difficult for me to sit here and listen to Connor talk about arguably the greatest fighter who's ever lived and celebrating and dancing on his grave when Connor himself is out here getting his ass beat by essentially any good fighter he's fought over the last four or five years. Because as we remember, Khabib beat the living shit out of him. I don't know if I've ever seen a great fighter get dominated more than that Khabib versus McGregor fight. That was an absolute clinic. I don't know if I've seen Nate Diaz dominate a fighter over the last six, seven years like he dominated McGregor in the first one. Now McGregor did redeem himself and beat Diaz that second time around, but even that fight was close. I was going to ask you if you, I don't know why you have a problem with Connor if Nate Diaz has been doing the same thing. Because here's the thing. The difference in expectations. Okay, Nate Diaz is not known as a champion fighter. McGregor is known as one of the prolific Still one of the most champion fighters yes, amongst absolutely. the entire UFC. But we, we agree, like, Diaz is more of like in that Cerrone category where it's like this entertaining shit talking like it's on brand because we know that that's just kind of what they are that's who Connor is rowdy too, kind of guy. McGregor's a champion fighter though is what I'm saying and when you've been at this pinnacle and you've been knocked down several pegs by the great competition you fight because again when Diaz fights great fighters we're sitting there going yeah he's probably going to lose but he's going to make it entertaining when it's McGregor fighting great fighters we're going McGregor needs to win this fight that's the expectation of a champion it's not like McGregor's retired Khabib, though I mean I Nate Diaz is like said, I'm done, blah, 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 and he keeps coming back. Like, but, but that's a worse look in my mind. Making the comparison, okay, for instance, when Diaz and McGregor first fought, we were all expecting McGregor to win because he was at the peak of his powers. He was arguably the best fighter outside of Bones Jones. He had to move up weight. That was tough for him. But we, we all, he was the favorite in the fight, yeah. and he got whooped. He was the better fighter. In the yeah. Khabib-McGregor uh, fight, I didn't pick McGregor, but people were saying, hey, he could be the one guy yeah, that could give Khabib a fight, yeah. and he got his ass whooped. Yeah, and then Dustin Poirier for the third time, McGregor got his... Now, he did knock out Poirier the first time they mm -hmm. fought, but after that, Poirier started putting it on him yeah. and started beating his ass. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is, if you're going to be a guy that shit talks and you're somebody that's been at the top, you better make sure you're still at the top. Otherwise, people are going to look at you and go, hold on, dude. Like, Leon Edwards caught him on a good kick. Let's give Leon the credit here. Sitting here dancing on, on Usman's grave when you've been getting finished three of your last four fights. Yeah, Maybe just, you know, sit back and shut the fuck up. So in the meantime, McGregor, Mr. Notorious, who's now a Notorious Sideshow Act, do me a solid and hold, hold this L. L. Get back in the octagon, bro, and prove that you can still be a championship fighter. Otherwise... Usman would would destroy McGregor at, at any point of his career. No offense to McGregor, he was great at one mm. point for like ten months. But after outside of that, McGregor has been an unknown guy, and then has become a sideshow act that made a ton of money off fighting fighting Floyd Mayweather. But outside of that, he's done nothing over the last five years. Man, yeah. it's sad. That's true. So that's uh that's our show for today. I hope you guys definitely enjoyed it. We uh, had a lot of Chiefs conversation. If you guys would like to chime in, man, hit us up on YouTube. We got some changes coming to the show very very close, man. We got some uh, quality uptick, if you will, and we're trying to get our uh, subscription up a little bit more. So we appreciate everyone that's been sharing our videos, everybody that's been chiming in. We got a ton of support out there. We've noticed that the YouTube growth is there, but we want to get it further. And we want to get further along, and we need your guys' help. We're not too proud to admit that because we can't do this without you. And quite frankly, we wouldn't we wouldn't do it without you because it wouldn't be any fun just talking to ourselves in an echo chamber so we do appreciate everybody that's already been out there but we're not done we're not settling we're not finished we want to keep going we want to keep growing so and that for mr eddie ortiz mr yo yo for trevor twidwell for the great clay windler that puts all this together on the back end of things i am lance twidwell episode 180 of the spoken podcast is done finished in finito and until we are here for 181 getting closer to our official 2022 nfl prediction show we out of this bitch Later.
We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoken. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.